The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about the Denver Nuggets, another team that didn't have a ton of turnover, but also I think is one of the more fun teams in the league to analyze. And they did at least get some new players. Wilson Chandler is gone. Isaiah Thomas is in. And uh, this is a team that you know continues its perpetual quest to, to make the playoffs. Uh, always a bridesmaid, never a bride in that regard. Sorry, I've, I've got a lot of <laughs> wedding metaphors uh, since we're recording this uh, when I'm uh, about to get married. But uh, Adam Mars is going to join us here. I figure by saying your name fast, I can uh, do better <laughs> in terms of uh, making it sound like I'm pronouncing it well, even though maybe I'm not. How you doing, man? That's always the key with a tricky name. You just you kind of mumble that part of it, and well, then you're good. Da- uh, Danny is well. the one who always messes me up on it. I think because he like he's one of these guys who like goes really far out of his way to like pronounce things, but sometimes he's wrong. He's got he's messed me up on Doncic now too, because uh, oh, he, yeah. he's telling me it's Doncic, and then all these people on Twitter are like, no, no, that's not it. So all the the Nuggets from office is is you know a lot of europeans there so anytime i screw up any european player's name i, I get an earful about it so now i'm extra cautious and nervous about it yeah man it, isn't, isn't that terrifying <laughs> though to know that like people who work for teams are actually listening to this and we can't we can't just like go in on them with carte blanche like they're actually gonna hear what we're gonna say <laughs> It is tough. It's one of the tougher parts of the job, but it also, you know, it r- reminds you there's people involved, which I think is one of the things every every writer has to always be kind of aware of that, you know, we're analyzing people's yeah. jobs and different I, things. So be honest, but... but I, I will fair. say that I can't remember a time that someone from a team has talked to me in a way that I felt was like overly sensitive. Like I, when they, I mean, right. and I totally understand. I mean, it's very human to want to say, hey, you know what? Like, this is what you're missing about what we're doing. You know, you'll get, you'll de- get those sometimes. It's Sometimes they'll make some yep. pretty good points and, and I'll, uh, you know, or sometimes we'll just get stuff wrong. And so usually it's something like that. I mean, if they're just like, usually if we are like kind of laying into them a little bit, it's usually not mean spirited. So they'll, but they'll understand and be like, yeah, you know, that didn't work out too well for us, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's uh mostly people I talk to are, are pretty cool about that, but you have to be because, you know, there are a lot harsher critics out there than we are probably. They get paid a lot of money to be criticized, but yeah, at the same time, I, I mean, you know this too, because you're you're now a famous internet person, Nate, but you know, people can be incredibly cruel online, even to, even to writers and things. So it really makes you take a step back and think like, you know, you got to be careful in how you phrase things, even when you're being critical. Yeah, well, people. when people are, go out of their way to be mean about it, that actually makes it much easier to dismiss because you know that they're, you know <laughs> right. that they're not actually thinking about it. They're not coming from a place that actually has some kind of an accuracy to it. It's when people actually really try to, you're like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a listener. I really like your work, but you know, you screw 
screwed this one up in this way or have you considered this like those are the ones that actually make me think it and help me get better if it's just like oh you suck duncan it's like all right well it's not gonna like <laughs> that, that type of stuff like doesn't bother me at all yeah absolutely uh well let's talk a little denver nuggets here made some changes in the offseason and but where i want to start here usually we talk about how the new additions fit in but how big is, is the loss of wilson chandler to this team i don't think Fareed, you know he was a, a depth piece who maybe could have helped in the event of injury but wasn't really in the rotation last year arthur yeah. same thing you know really just it never was able to get it going after signing that new contract in the fall of 2016 i think in large part due to injuries whether it was that weird illness or knee issues or whatever but chandler was in the rotation he famously played 48 minutes going 0 for 3 in uh <laughs> that final game that they lost in overtime in minnesota a year ago so uh, how much are they going to miss uh, what wilson chandler gave them a year ago it's going to be uh, it's, that's the most interesting question i think regarding the nuggets uh this year because on paper and even you know watching the games wilson chandler was the weakest link of the nuggets starting five and, and the numbers bared that out when they would swap other players in you know the, a lot their offense would go up their defense wouldn't necessarily suffer but he was you know six eight athletic strong guy who can guard who was the the only player on, on the nuggets roster that could guard some of your bigger perimeter players your bigger wings your lebrons carmelos paul george's those type of guys um so on paper i think and, and i actually believe this i actually think denver is now going to become the team that they ought to be this high-powered offense will barton at you know is another playmaker in the starting lineup i think their offense goes to a whole new level um they're not weighed down by some of the things you know wilson chandler a very passive player passes up wide open shots record scratches all all of the time um that, so that i think that they're actually way, going to be a... at the dunk on store the record scratch <laughs> t-shirt uh it only took Nate, me five minutes to give you throw you a promo nateduncanmba.com Nate <laughs> click on, on the merch tab you, you can find it <laughs> Yeah, but I so I think with the I, I actually like the improvement. Uh, I, I like swapping Will Barton in for Wilson Chandler and just cutting Wilson Chandler out of the rotation. I think it was time for him to move on. Um, but there is the big question of now Denver doesn't have that shutdown, and not that Wilson Chandler was a shutdown guy, but he was the closest thing. They don't have that guy that can that can handle your bigger perimeter players, which might end up being a, a fatal flaw for them. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, we know that when they did start Will Barton at the three, that the numbers on that were extremely good, and yeah. You know, this is a team that I think is more focused on the regular season still at this point. And, and I'm fascinated to see how some of the guys on this squad become once you get into that playoff crucible and they can be attacked or, or have a chance to attack themselves. So, yeah, it, I mean, you would think, okay, putting Will Barton in at the three, defense gets worse, offense gets better. You know, maybe it's kind of a wash. But as I recall, I don't think the numbers were any worse with Will Barton defensively at the three than they were with Wilson Chandler and that's the big thing about this is you know by all logic Wilson Chandler is a better defender and I think he has a higher peak as a defender that you'd mentioned that 0 for 48 game but he did a very good job on Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins in that game and yeah. and there were a lot of games but like there's that a where... reason he played 48 minutes in that game despite not scoring. exactly <laughs> exactly exactly um so but I but I do think that you you mentioned it's you know you're adding offense subtracting defense I actually do think it'll be a net positive because as you mentioned not every team has a wing that can exploit you know will barton's kind of skinny frame and but i do think that the nuggets when they played with the three guard lineup gary harris jamal murray will barton uh plus nikola Jokic, you know those four guys it was just no matter there was actually a pretty big sample size over the last two years of that and it was always just uh very dynamic on off 
offense, 120 plus offensive rating in those in those minutes. So I think Denver, especially playing the Mile High City, I think offensively they're going to be able to run a lot of teams off of the floor, and defensively, not every team is going to be able to exploit you know the size weakness in the, in the backcourt and on the wing. Yeah, and I think there is a, an argument early on last year before Paul Millsap suffered that wrist injury. It seemed like maybe it wasn't working quite as well offensively with Millsap and Jokic out there, and then also Chandler. Chandler, you know, a little bit of a liability. Uh, Millsap, yeah. you know, has a lot of skills, but you know, a lot of those require having the ball in his hands. You know, not a great spot up shooter himself, although it did seem like they were trying to get him to be more aggressive from three. You imagine that that will continue as he's moved into a little bit more of a support role. But they do have the option of maybe putting Millsap on, you know, a Kevin Durant for the Golden State Warriors right. or you know, a, a LeBron James because those guys, if they really have so much size, I mean, not that Barton really is that great guarding any particular position but if it's the type of thing where he's just getting overwhelmed size wise you could go with Paul Millsap there and it's rare that then you know Barton even if he's guarding the power forward is just going to get trucked you know that for a team to have two guys like that is relatively rare so that's uh I, I avoided saying relatively unique because you know I know I know, I know the <laughs> listeners get on me about how, oh unique means that you can't be relatively unique you're either unique you're not uh I've uh <laughs> my pushback on that is that there really there really is not like a great synonym for unique uh, i mean i guess rare rare can yeah. work in some circumstances but other times it can't but anyway so yeah do yeah. you think Millsap is going to get that role more often this year I think for Millsap, early in the year, you mentioned it not quite working. The record was good. The net rating was good. But the team, you know, was this clunky offense, you know, passable defense. It just didn't look like what I think, you know, the final form of the Nuggets should look like, you know, with the with the roster that they had. When he came back from injury in, I believe, late February, the Nuggets were coming off their hottest offensive streak. And I think Millsap saw like, OK, this is how the team operates on, on offense. And he only had one hand. It was very clear that for the the months of March and April, he he just could not use his left hand even to rebound, to dribble or anything. So maybe he took a step back offensively because of that. But I think that he saw that this team needs him so much on the defensive end and just needs him to sort of plug into the machine on, on the offensive end that my one of the big questions for them is if Millsap takes on sort of that I'm the defensive anchor and offensive, I'm just, offensively, I'm just a cog in the machine. I think Denver's going to really take off this year. If they take a step back and think, OK, we need to integrate him into the offense in this very deliberate way we need to get him his touches and this and that then I think there might be another adjustment period for Denver coming up at the start of this season and that could be catastrophic but my hunch is that Paul Millsap and, and he was vocal about this he had a one-on-one meeting with Nicole Nicole Jokic early in March basically saying hey I'm here to support you I came here to join your team not not to make this my team so I have a, a hunch that everybody's sort of on the same page but because Millsap missed so much time and because he was injured when he returned you know we still don't know how much uh you know what he looks like in that starting lineup yeah and Millsap you know this is going to be his age 33 season and his skills as far as going one-on-one have really kind of waned I do really like him what I'd like to see more from him is what we saw in Atlanta sprinting the floor getting deep early post-ups I mean he's at the point now where he has a size advantage a strength advantage certainly against most other teams fours so I think helping to get out and run and then maybe doing some playmaking you would think also the stagger between Millsap and Jokic would be something that they would look into uh you think they'll go that yeah. way absolutely um I that starting lineup is going to be their best five-man lineup I'd be shocked if it wasn't but just looking at the bench you know there's question marks there so I do suspect that they'll stagger him a lot and then also you know Jokic goes to another level when he has four basically 
four perimeter. But when they play small with Jokic, you know, he goes to another level. And I think that's just such a good second unit um, that, that Denver will, will experiment with that a lot. And I hope Denver experiments a little bit with uh, Millsap at, at the center position. They, they were reluctant to do it a lot last year, but I, I think that's one of their better looks they can give. Yeah, well, I mean, they already are paying Mason Plumlee way too much. So I think there's, and I know <laughs> Malone really seems to like Plumlee a lot as well, but I agree with you. I mean, that, that could, could be better. But that said, I, I think my biggest problem with the departure of Chandler isn't so much, oh man, what are they going to do in the starting lineup? You know, they, they paid Will Barton to come in and do that. The numbers on yeah. that have been good. Uh, but then what do they do off the bench? You know, I think they really don't have any, I mean, they don't have any three man on this roster really other than Tory Craig, <laughs> uh, who, uh, yeah. what do you think of Tory Craig real briefly? He's a two. You, you think he's a two? Yeah. I mean, he's slight yeah. of frame. You know, he's basically the same build as Will Barton, maybe a little bit shorter even. Um, he was a guy, it's hard to judge him. He plays incredibly hard. I think a team with a lot of talented offensive players needs a, a low usage, you know, sort of hustle defensive guy. But it's hard to evaluate him because he played 39 games last year and he could only have 45 days. He was on the two-way contract for the entire year. He never practiced or traveled with the team. So um, he wasn't great, I don't think, last year. I think the hustle plays stick out. But overall, you know, he, he was a guy teams just didn't guard at the three-point line. And, and he's not as good of a defender, I think, as, as yeah. Denver that, needs that's, to be. That was what but, stuck out to me is that I don't I, I wasn't I wasn't like oh man this guy you know like like David Nwaba for example you know, is kind of a similar type of player whereas you know and, yeah. and I felt that re- I mean Denver gave him two million dollars and I know they wanted to like all right we want to feel like these two-way guys have a path to being on the team but I felt they could have been right. much better off going for Nwaba or Tory or, or um uh, Travion Graham or even Ty Wallace who's still out there you know on the two-way the Clippers no way they were going to match a, a fully guaranteed contract for him probably I thought those guys all showed more promise last year than Craig who I just eh, you know defensively I wasn't that blown away by him I, I'm I, I think if you're Denver you want to be optimistic about the fact that he was flying southwest at midnight to get in to play games yeah. because that's how they had to you know do it so maybe you know he's 10 percent better next year or something like that but I'm with you I think the big reason for the signing one he's a Malone guy I think your team needs those guys they have a lot of guys that can score and do different things they don't have a lot of guys that don't care if they don't take any shots and he's that guy but also as you mentioned Denver in the Tim Conley era especially over the last three or four years is going all in on this you know we take care of our guys guys that that do you know work for us Mason Plumlee got paid uh you know that big contract I think in lot just to show that hey we're a franchise that doesn't doesn't cheat our players out of money or or or, you know take advantage of them whether that works or not I have no idea but they're certainly going to go all in with that strategy yeah I mean maybe that works if you're in like New York or LA uh but yeah I mean Craig 29 percent from downtown last year you know that he really just is not good enough offensively and then and I don't, as Danny would say, think that the juice is worth the squeeze uh, for him uh, on the defensive end. Uh, you know, I, I know people are going through some Danny withdrawal right now uh, with with these team previews. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so we started talking about the depth here. What is this rotation going to look like once they go to the bench at the forward positions? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. I think Trey Lyles is the guy that, you know, that's his spot to lose at the power forward position. Mason Plumlee will slide over and play alongside Nikola Jokic quite a bit. And those two surprisingly very very effective um they started out kind of slow 
when Mason Plumley was traded to Denver, but but last year the numbers they were a very very good front court pairing. But I think Trey Lyles will get the lion's share of the minutes there at small forward. My prediction is that Juancho Hernan Gomez is probably the the best guy to get those minutes, but I don't know that he's going to. It's going to be tough for him to earn those minutes. I think Tory Craig is going to be the default guy because as as we mentioned, you know he's a defensive minded guy. Whether he's more impactful or not is is probably up for debate. But he's the guy that at least you know plays the part of a defensive specialist so i think it'll go to him what happened with hernan gomez last year i know he had the mono i mean i was thought of him as a potential uh, up-and-comer and and, you know i liked him more at the four i thought he would be better than trey lyles that wasn't the case i still think he's a a natural four man but i mean he really just couldn't do anything last year i mean how is the organization seeing him at this point in time it seemed they were high him at one time and now he really doesn't appear to be in their plans at all i get that sense for sure that you know he fell out of the rotation because he got mono and then lost a bunch of weight and then by the time he was healthy and cleared he had to add some weight back and and then you're talking about january and and you know trying to add a player into the rotation at that point i think is tough so that last year was a bit of a throwaway year but denver has added pieces michael porter jr uh jared vanderbilt trey lyles guys that are playing that position now you know so uh, in front of him or at least alongside of him so i'm with you i actually think he can play the three i I think he's a great fit next to Nikola Jokic. He's a very smart off-ball player. He's a great spot-up shooter. He's a surprisingly good rebounder, especially is he a offensive rebounder. Spot-up shooter. I I, I kind of have a <laughs> well, more you know, the good cat. Like he he's he takes a lot of threes, but you know I I think he's more like a thirty-six percent kind of guy. Like he'll have some bad misses. Like he seems a little inconsistent. I don't think he's just like that natural bomber. At least to, to me right now, numbers are just too small yeah. to look at. I think he shot like oh I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I think his numbers are too small to really know this not a big enough sample size at the NBA level. Um, but he's a guy, when I watch him in practice, he might be the best like practice oh, yeah. shooter on the team. And I know that, I know that doesn't, that doesn't yeah. really matter. There's lots of guys like that, but at least gives me the thought that, you know, when he just does the spot up shooting, when he's just the fifth option on offense and, and he's there to space the floor, I think he can be very good at it. And he's another guy sort of like Gary Harris that stays in his lane. I almost never watch Wancho and think, you know, what are you doing? You're trying to do too much. You know, you're in the wrong spot or whatever. He just sort of fills the role he's supposed to. Um, so I think he's a great shooter, but but yeah, I mean, he's only taking, I think he's taking less than 100 yeah. threes in his entire career. Um, so. He is 60 out of 163, 37% uh, in his career. But I mean, it, it was okay. just such a lost year for him. He played 277 minutes last year after <laughs> over 800 as a rookie when he showed so much promise there uh, and, and was basically limited to only shooting threes. He took two thirds of his shots from downtown uh, last year. I, I think if he plays next year, I think he's going to actually be very, very good. I just don't know that he's going to get an opportunity to play he's not a guy that i think sticks out in one-on-one workouts he's a guy that sticks out as again the fifth option on a a good offensive team which is what he has but i don't know if he's going to get that reading between the tea leaves it kind of seems like they feel like he doesn't work hard enough do do you and frankly i've seen just a few things in like pregame workouts that kind of make me that fall into that category what do you think of that i hate to sort of like opine on these things because i hear i hear you know rumblings and i talk to people but there's nothing i really feel too confident yeah you know saying definitively but i will say i've heard some rumblings that you know he doesn't stick out in some of the practice workouts like the three on three they do guys that aren't in the rotation you know they'll play three on three and my thought with that is i'm not surprised because again there's guys that are great at just spacing the floor and getting other people open and doing the making the smart play and then there's guys that look good in a three on three setting so um that's why i say i hope he gets an opportunity because i think he's actually very useful for you know playing alongside nikola jokic i just don't know if he's going to get that opportunity yeah i I mean i think it, to me maybe it's more
more of a just all right getting into great shape getting your body into great shape and obviously yeah. you know the mono really was you know when you have that you got to really like bust your ass to, to get back and you know maybe yeah. maybe there that wasn't quite there but you know there, there's a lot of young players who developed that over time and again you know we're probably going a little too far into conjecture here at this point um so yeah there's Hernan Gomez what's the latest on Michael Porter these days my take on him is I would be surprised if he played next year really? and I would I would wager a significant amount of money that he would not step on the court before or at least December um you know he's a guy and I've heard people say that he will not be content sitting out a year he's a competitive guy who who wants to get on the you know is too ambitious of getting on the court from this injury but Denver has been very public and very vocal in, in stressing how much they want to be slow with him how much they look at him as a long-term piece of this team and they don't want to risk or jeopardize you know his future for it so uh I would be surprised there's also the fact of Denver is a pretty good team they have some pretty good players they're missing a long wing player um adding a rookie and, and a high usage rookie to your rotation when you're trying to make the playoffs and, and adding him in mid-January or, or mid-December that's a recipe for disaster so I think Denver's very motivated to take it easy and take it slow with him um and, and I suspect he, he either won't play or will play Juancho Hernan Gomez minutes like last year 300 minutes yeah or so. it probably would make more sense for him to develop in the G League you know with their great G League team an operation they have <laughs> right well you know what they it, it, to, <laughs> they definitely need a, D, a G League team they are I think one of three teams without one now um, but uh, but they Monte Morris developed you know down there Torrey Craig played a lot down there um, they they have had some success with, with players going down there and, and, and improving so it's a smart route for him to take in my opinion yeah and, and we'll see I mean what do you make of this second surgery that he had I mean I, there's not a whole lot I can make of it other than it's not good see I, um, I think but, I actually but, thought maybe it is good uh I mean like or, yeah. or at least that there's you can potentially take that uh as it being good so they operated on a separate disc is is what I understand of the surgery and the first time they went in thinking okay this is the one we have to do and then the problem persisted and they went in and said no it's actually both of the discs you know in the problem area I had to operate on and from the way I understand it anytime there's that second you, you just add the number of things that can go wrong down the down the line yeah. the more sort of discs you operate on and that's why I think it I, I think you're right that it's good that I, I assume that now they have corrected whatever issue was ailing him but I think the risk of a future ailment sort of becomes twofold now that you're you've operated on two discs yeah that but that's my unprofessional take and what I and from what I've read about the surgery and, and try to read different doctors who have who have talked about these procedures yeah I, I mean I think the reason I take it as a positive is just relative to where he was during the draft process where it's like okay he can't work out or when we saw him at Missouri when he was supposedly back and he clearly couldn't move and just had no explosion and you know to where really I mean he was supposed to be he was cleared you know he was supposed to be back and yeah. it's like okay well this guy still has no explosion like what's going on here and so at least now that has an explanation you know it's not like okay he had yeah. the surgery everything right everything's <laughs> fine and you know he still looks like shit you know it's like okay now there's some hope yeah like a, a new intervening cause has happened that maybe could make him look a little bit better now so that's maybe why i think it's a positive but yeah i, I do think the fact that it's oh yeah you needed to do another disc it, maybe that's not uh, the greatest thing in the world uh, going back to the rotation here i mean you mentioned craig hernan gomez malik beasley is another guy they've been trying to develop really has not done much at the nba level uh but you know i, I think if they're comfortable going with will barton at the three in the starting lineup you know maybe if it's gary harris off the bench or maybe barton is going to play if you would imagine he'll play a fair amount with the the second group and maybe he'll just keep playing the three and they you know 
know, in some ways, Beasley will be competing for a rotation spot with guys like Hernan Gomez and Craig. Yeah, it's it's a huge, huge question mark. I don't think Malik Beasley did not... I don't think he impressed at summer league the way he needed to. Um, it's not that this was a last opportunity for him, but I think Denver of all the players they were looking at eyes, eyeballs were on him because if he can play that 15 to 20 minutes a game as the backup guard position, it'd be great. But to me, he looked like a guy who still is a bit out of control, plays incredibly hard. He's worked incredibly hard on his body. He's going to be one of the most athletic players in the NBA next season, but unfortunately didn't shoot the ball, make decisions or defend well enough. I, I think for Denver to feel confident. Um, so my, my prediction with him was would be I, I don't know that Denver's going to rely on him night in and night out. Uh, if they are relying on him, I think that's a huge question mark for them. Yeah, it seems like it, and that's why I tried to phrase it more that he might be in competition with some of those bigger guys. But it, summer league, it, it's been odd because he's always been okay. We're going to have you shoot a bunch of times that when really that's probably yeah. not going to be his role. His role is going to be he's going to need to knock down shots and he's going to need to defend. But you know, he's I've always been because you know, he was billed as this big three and D guy coming out of Florida State, and I was always been a little disappointed in what his size is i mean he really is like almost you know a combo guard size you know he's not even like a bigger yep. two guard and then of course now there's a isaiah thomas and, and uh monte morris at point guard um and thomas yeah. you know says all right i'm gonna be uh ready for training camp in september he certainly is prone to pronouncements uh, on you know and bravado <laughs> of how good he's gonna be i mean but you know let's say they just get what he gave the lakers last year so, would that help this team yeah i think think there's no question uh, that he's going to help this team one way or another in large part because of who he's replacing Emmanuel Moutier it's not you know when people always ask me is he going to be back to the Boston and what you know what's he going to be I always think I think he's going to be better than Emmanuel Moutier who in my opinion was one of the worst point guards and one of the worst just overall players in the league really for the last three seasons and it was to the point last year you know Denver very uh publicly or, or very loudly got rid of Jameer Nelson during training camp or right after training camp and and forced Malone to play Moutier and it was a disaster. So, um, so yeah, I think I think Isaiah Thomas will help. And on top of that, I, I always tell people this: Nikola Jokic has had a handful of point guards in his career. He's had Jamal Murray, Emmanuel Mudiay, uh, Randy Foy, uh, and DJ Augustine, and Jameer Nelson. You know, Jameer Nelson, the only guy who can run the pick and roll and 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 deliver the ball to the big guy. You know, pretty consistently, he's very good at that. And Jokic shot sixty percent from the field that year. Uh, I think Isaiah Thomas is a guy who is going to uh, offensively be such a threat uh coming off of the screen pulling up from the mid-range or shooting the three or getting to the rim that and and he's also good at delivering the ball to the big that i, I just think that combination will be so good off it'll be as good offensively as it will be bad defensively <laughs> and for, and and that's a lot better than it was with Moutier, which was a lot worse defensively and, and almost nothing offensively so um so i think he'll almost certainly be a, an improvement yeah and thomas had some of his best years or, well no his best years unequivocally in boston uh, the one year he partnered yeah. with Al Horford, who has a very similar game offensively to what Jokic can bring operating from the elbows in the DHO game uh, after the ball has been moved side to side, flying around some of those screens, coming off a screen. So, I mean, the problem for Thomas uh, last season, uh, I think he was still able to create a lot of the same shots. He still was able to get to the foul line reasonably well with just some of the tricks of the trade out on the floor. Just his finishing 
was atrocious and as probably the best little guy finisher under six foot in NBA history back in his heyday his finishing had already been kind of falling off a little bit in Boston even as it, yeah. his star had risen in, in other ways and then he really just I mean he was just blowing wide open layups last year you just you could tell or, or if he got in the lane and tried to pull up at all you could tell that he just expected to have a certain level of explosion did not and he would be surprised by that and it really threw off his timing on anything around the rim this surgery you know we'll see how much it fixes with these hip issues you know he tried to rehab it for a very long time last year before coming back i mean he was nine months worth of rehab basically uh after he got shut down with the celtics and so we'll see whether this surgery fixes anything or not i mean i think more likely than not you know we'll see him it'll be better than it was in cleveland i think we'll see him you know maybe a little better than he was with the lakers and and that i think can be a valuable player they played actually reasonably well when he was with them and i think he can fill a role on this team but you know i'm not sure i'd want to take shots out of the hands of will barton on the second unit and put it into isaiah's hand well i just think having a second guy with the second unit is going to be huge i mean denver's denver's starters and really any lineup with Jokic was incredible any any lineup that went to you know three or more bench guys really fell apart so i think being able to pair two playmakers two creators and two scorers with all of your second units will go uh will go a long way for this team the big question for me is i don't think you can close games with isaiah thomas and nicole Jokic on the court in fact i'm pretty confident you cannot do that and so we know that isaiah thomas in boston was mr fourth quarter scoring um i think there's going to be a lot of nights where isaiah thomas has 10 fourth quarter points opening up the fourth and then malone has to decide you know who closes jamal murray isaiah thomas nicole Jokic, and and to me those are the areas where i think denver has tripped up the most in the last three seasons kind of deciding when to stick with the hot and that'll be a storyline i think all year how denver closes games yeah and malone there was some talk that they may move on from him that uh, was not the case uh it, after his second season and they did show improvement it just the rest of the west showed even more improvement uh, around them right. uh to get to that 46 wins um the two guys who are I, we haven't even really mentioned much yet, though, are Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, the guys who are really the future of this franchise. And a little part of the reason I was a little bit critical of the Nuggets sacrificing that 2019 first rounder and some of the other moves that they've made, you know, even in terms of the Will Barton contract, who, you know, I think he's an important part of the team, but I felt they overpaid for him a little bit here, mm-hmm. is that those guys are are really that good. You know, Jokic is coming in on a max contract, but those guys are in their early early 20s still and then so is Gary Harris you have really your three best guys uh at that age and you know they have a lot of money tied up in uh, older more expensive guys but those guys are the future of this team so let's start with Murray what is really the easiest ways that you can see him improving this season the easiest way of improving for Jamal um you know I think the scoring off of uh the bounce he's one of the best catch and shoot three-point shooters in the league last year I think the fourth or fifth best free throw shooter spot up shooter he, he, you know, very, very good. But starting to score and, and play make off of the dribble, he showed a lot of flashes last year. It's funny. I just watched a game from his rookie season uh, the other day, and it really stood out how much sometimes when you do that, uh, you go back and watch even just a year prior, you see how much of an improvement a, a guy has made. He's made leaps and bounds improvements just as running the point guard position. But I think being more comfortable scoring off of the dribble is going to open up a lot of his game. And if you look at his, his stats last year, I think in 
in the back half of the year, he was taking um, about two more threes per uh, per game than he was in the first half of the year. I think he just got a lot more comfortable and grew as a player with the ball in his hands. So for me, it's playmaking with the ball in his hands and in particular shooting off of the dribble in the pick and roll that that is kind of the big step I expect he'll make. Yeah, and he will throw some passes that look pretty good. You know, I think he just has got to get a little bit more consistent there. Um, His finishing around the rim to me is actually a very underrated part of his game. I think his floater game, he's got great touch, great left and right hand, uh, gets an excellent extension around the rim, uses his body. So that's an underrated. I mean, he really, I think it was obscured in some ways how big of a step forward he took last year where, you know, you could say, all right, this guy has a lot of promise. And then in their second year, they don't improve. But he was really right on schedule. I mean, he went from 21 minutes a game to 32 minutes a game, 17 points, uh, got better with the assists as well. I mean, and he's not asked to play make as much. Uh, And then I thought, you know, defensively, he went from being one of the worst players in the NBA to just bad. Uh, What does he need to do to get better there? (laughs) That that I think is going to take a lot more time. And it's tough because I think it's all of Denver's backcourt players, even Gary Harris, who has this reputation as a three and D player, um, have really just kind of struggled with coming off of screens, fighting through screens and contesting shots. So um, he, he has, I think, a lot defensively. He gives great effort. He's more athletic than I think people realize, a little bit longer even than, than I think people realize. Uh, but but there's just a lot with sticking close to his defender. Obviously, Nikola Jokic isn't a very mobile center in the pick and roll. So I think you have to have guards that sort of shorten that window when a player comes off of the ball screen. You know, they can't have a full second be- before the, the defender gets around the screen and, and, and back to contest the shot or contest the drive. So he has to get quicker at that. Um, I don't know if that's the improvement that's coming this year. It might. I, I imagine there'll be marginal improvement, but I think, you know, young guards offensively, they sort of put pieces together a little bit quicker than, than they will defensively, at least most guys. And I think he's certainly an offensive minded guy. And you mentioned the playmaking. I want to make one quick point here. Last year, I, I think he was very um, conservative in his passing last year, especially in the pick and roll. There were a lot of times where, you know, there was a guy open on the roll or a guy open on the, the swing pass and he just wouldn't take it. Michael Malone had a, a press conference after their worst month. Jan- on January 22nd, he had this big press conference where he said, I'm, last year I hardly called any plays and the offense was great. This year I'm orchestrating it too much. So as a team, we're going to play more free. And for the next month or so, the next several weeks, Jamal Murray made some great plays and great passes in the pick and roll. And I wonder how much for him it's, it's a mental thing where the more comfortable he gets to just play free and loose, the better decisions he makes and the more he plays up tight. That's a, that's a very classic young point guard thing to to have to overcome but I but that's sort of a mental obstacle that I think can can open up his game and, and show a, a, a more pass happy side of his offense yeah I, I think so and when you're playing with Jokic you know, you're never gonna have a crap load of assists he's the one who gets a, a, a lot of those with him yeah. facilitating you're gonna be finishing more plays but I think you know those two guys those two and uh, Harris and Jokic as well have developed a, a really good chemistry with some of the give and go actions that, that they'll do let's turn to Jokic big change in his game last year 40 percent from three and really started jacking up three points he, he was the stretch threat really for the first time 4.1 three-point attempts per 36 minutes part of that was you know he'll play in lineups with Plumley and stretch it out a little bit more um his shooting around the basket in that three to ten foot range which was probably unsustainably high at a comical 62 percent two years ago went down to a still very good uh 50 percent last year but what did we see in terms of growth from Jokic last year and what's he going to be trying to build on this year remind me if i don't make the point but i, I th- there is a really interesting point about his shots at the rim I'm, I'm sure we'll get to here in just a little bit but um you know you mentioned the three-point shooting that that was a really big part of it i 
think even just general conditioning, the minutes per game, you know, one of the complaints Nuggets fans had, I think, in his sophomore season was he should have been playing more minutes. Why is he why is he getting rested? But I think a lot of it was because he just couldn't. Um, last year, 32 and a half minutes per game, and I thought he looked good. You know, he would get winded uh, a, a little bit, you know, in certain games when he'd get up to 36, 37, 38 minutes. But um, I thought he did a very good job of, of uh, handling the minute load. But the biggest change to his game, I asked him at Moody last year, um, with Danilo Gallinari out, you know, are you excited? Is it does it feel different knowing this is your team? Because I thought it was just implied with how he played that you know he would sort of be the focal point of the team, and he he laughed at it, and it was very genuine, saying this is Paul Millsap's team. We just added an all star. It's it's going to be his. That that meeting I mentioned between Millsap and Jokic that hap- that took place in early March, and and the way that Jokic played following that, you know, I think sent the sent a signal that he realized that he has to be the best player on this team, and he has to be the focal point, and to no longer be passive. I thought he was much more aggressive in the final two and a half months of the season. He was willing to make mistakes and take shots and even boss people around. There were a lot of times where he was telling Millsap, get out of the way, you know, get to the other side of the court this time. This is we're running this play over here. And so I just think the biggest change for him during the season and going into this next season is, especially with getting paid, it's his team and he knows that and he embraces it, I think, for the first time. Yeah. And you're going to make a point about his finishing around the room, which actually was identical 67 percent the last two years within three feet. But uh, and I also noticed he only he had eight dunks last year after 23 the year before. I don't know what to yeah. make of that. But, but what point were you going to make there? So almost every player on the Nuggets, uh, their field goal attempts at the rim went down last year pretty substantially, including Nikola Jokic, Gary Harris, I believe Jamal Murray and Will Barton. The only guy who's went up was Mason Plumley, who took a ton of shots at the rim. And I have, have talked all year about how I think that there's, you know, that's sort of by uh, the design of how they were running the offense. One, you replace Jameer Nelson with Jamal Murray, basically, who's not as good as I mentioned, getting the ball on the roll to, to the big man. But then also you just add another guy and, and Mason Plumley, who's ducking in a lot on, on plays and, and sort of not well, clogging and, the and pain, he loves but always looking for opportunities too, which is to. Just an absolute eyesore. It kills me every time he does that. And it's even more pronounced when you have a team that's scoring almost every single time down court to, to post up a guy you know like that. So uh, it it was alarming to me how little Denver was getting to the to the rim last year. They had a lot of that floaters three to ten range, but at the rim and in the restricted area, almost everybody's attempts went down. And that's another way that I think it'll open up a little bit adding swapping Wilson Chandler with Will Barton and then just a little bit more continuity um, with the team and knowing where everybody's supposed to be so I I think his efficiency especially his two-point field goal efficiency should see an increase this year and and that should be the same for the entire team Gary Harris had so many backcourt dunk uh, back cut dunks two years ago significantly fewer last year um, but I I think Denver was trending in the right direction in the, at the back half of the year getting more to that open uh, opening up the paint for for yeah, and, and Mills obviously you know where where do you have Paul Millsap stand on offense you know what do, what do you have him do is he yeah. gonna spot up at the three-point line is he gonna be at one elbow and Jokic will be at the other you know that allows someone maybe to help off a of Millsap on those back cuts that you're talking about or those DHOs those pick and rolls involving Jokic you're gonna put yeah. him in the corner are you gonna have him post up every once in a while you know it, it, despite his versatility and despite the fact I think he's a good offensive player on some teams it's tough for him to just like all right where can he be useful still do stuff feel like he's a part of things but also not gum up the spacing for what some of their core actions are going to be here um all right let's uh do a quick read and then we'll be back to talk about uh some predictions for this denver team right after this 
All right, this is always an exciting time here on the show. We've got a new sponsor to introduce, Robinhood. It's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options, cryptos, all commission-free. And they have a simple and intuitive design that presents data in an easy-to-digest way. If you're a stock market newcomer, which I must admit that I am, for whatever reason, that's never been something that I've really focused on that much. But now that this podcast is pretty stable, it's something that I'm getting into. And I really appreciate it, the ease of their interface. All you have to do to make a trade is four taps on your smartphone. And they let you discover new stocks. You can track favorite companies with a personalized news feed customized notifications for price movements and the big deal no commission fees so you can trade stocks keep all of your profits they strive to make financial services work for everyone not just the wealthy and they're offering a really nice deal to get started a free stock like apple ford or sprint to help build your portfolio sign up at a little different nomenclature here for the url you start off with capspace capspace.robinhood.com so you put capspace at the beginning capspace.robinhood.com is that url once again capspace.robinhood.com let them know with that capspace prefix that you came from us so let's just talk about how this team is going to look at overall and we can start with last year's performance is a relatively similar team they had the sixth ranked offense 21st ranked defense per cleaning the glass if these guys are going to get better this year you know and 46 wins yeah i think the odds are that'll probably get them in just because historically that's been there but because it's a team that wants to get better do they get is right. it by making the offense better or the defense better you know which is more realistic to improve in your eyes i think the offense is more I realistic I, again I, I think that this nuggets team is going to have a top three offense next year or at least they have the makings of a team that can do that and i know that sounds a little bit crazy to a lot of people but you know if you just look at the numbers that that's really what they were after they got out of the weeds of that first month where they were trying to figure out that that Millsap Jokic dynamic uh two years ago they were were a top five offense as well so um so number six last year i think they can be a top three offense this next year and um if they realize their identity early one of the stories about the nuggets for both of the last two seasons remember they missed the playoffs by one game two years ago as well so it's two years in a row they've they finished one game out of the playoffs um and in both seasons it took a, a surprisingly long amount of time for them to sort of yeah, get into a they groove always and seem figure to be out who they were shooting themselves in the foot somehow early in the season changing two years ago it was starting you Yusef Nurkic over Jokic for some reason. Um, you know, last year there was a bunch of tinkering with the, once Millsap went down, the Nuggets went to like 10 different starting lineups for over the next month, trying to figure out which one works. And of course that type of, of tinkering, I think can kill you. I think Denver now knows a lot better what their rotation will be going in. There's a, there's a much more established pecking order. So, so maybe they have some clarity there, but defensively adding a healthy Paul Millsap, when Millsap was on the court, then Denver Nuggets defense was, was pretty good. Not, you know, not great but it was but it was much better than obviously without him um but adding Isaiah Thomas maybe cancels out whatever gain you get because he is among the league's worst defensive players so I think Denver's ticket to the playoffs this year is probably to be a top three defense and to try to be a top 18 or 19 or I'm sorry top 18 or 19 defense in a top three offense um I think that's that's kind of the more realistic goal for them yeah and really you know that's kind of your problem with this team in the long term is it's just it's so hard to think of how does this team get into the top half of the league in defense if you really want to get into being a contender not to mention that you know i think a lot of their players have some flaws that in a playoff setting you know, might end up getting exploited you know we haven't had a chance to see 
see that yet. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it, that the offense can get a lot better. I mean, if you're looking at the league from last year, you know, you'd say, all right, Golden State, Houston, you could see both of them being better. But I don't know that there's, a, especially with LeBron now out of Cleveland, I don't think the Lakers are going to quite get into the top five because you know I don't see them having the spacing that they had in Cleveland. So now at this point, you're kind of hard pressed to find the team. Maybe it's Toronto. Uh, you know, Minnesota was right. also better than Denver a year ago. So you could see maybe Minnesota being a little bit better right in that same range. But yeah, I mean, you would think that Denver's probably got as good a shot as anybody at finishing with the number three offense in the NBA this year. And I think they will. I really do. I mean, when, the, when Denver looked their best over the last two years, I mean, they were unguardable on, on, on defense. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that as hyperbole. They put 130 points on the Warriors. Um, you know, they put 140, I think 146 or 148 points up against the team last year. So when their offense is humming, they just go to a whole other level. Um, and it almost, you realize how bad they were defensively that they didn't win more games because of how, how great they were offensively. Yeah. So, uh, and, and this team, like I said, you get rid of Wilson Chandler, who was a bit of an anchor on their offense. Um, you add Isaiah Thomas and get rid of Emmanuel Moutier, who was a huge anchor on the offense. So I think the offense is, has, is going to get better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even though you're saying, hey, their defense was 21st, it wasn't that good. They were 30th a year ago or two years ago, right? When they were, I think, third in, or second in the NBA, they still had about the same net rating because the offense took a step back, but they actually got better on defense a, a year ago. And I think, you know, it, maybe they, it's realistic to get slightly better. <laughs> I think Denver also takes on the personality of, of their best player, which in this case is Nikola Jokic. And he is, uh, they, they did not win. Two years ago, they did not win a game when they did not score 100 points. Last year, I think they had four or five of those. And I think a lot of this has to do with Jokic is a very atypical player of his caliber and that he has a very nonchalant way about him. I think you could even say one of his big flaws is that he doesn't take every single game seriously. And one of the things Denver did was they'd score 40 points in the first quarter and then the defense would just be like, okay, they're up 10. You know, we could take a couple defensive possessions off. And of course, that's a recipe for... Um, so I think Denver, as bad as they were defensively, they can make... Mar every player can make marginal improvements both to their focus, their 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 physique, you know, their conditioning, and, and maybe at least stay the same... Stay say in that 18 to 22 range defensively this this next year what do you see as some of the strengths of this team uh, that we haven't talked about yet rebounding was a huge strength for them last year um and really for the last couple of years it's Jokic is a big part of that he he tests out in almost every advanced metric for for rebounding not just in his like per 36 numbers and rebound percentage but just the team rebounds better when he's on the court Trey Lyles is a very very good rebounder um Mason Plumley, you know a solid rebounder Will Barton surprisingly a good rebounder um so I think I think rebounding will be one of the strengths and in particular offensive rebounding. Part of this is because they're so good at stretching you out and, and drawing the, the center out above the free throw line, basically. And it opens up a lot of opportunities to, to crash the boards. And they did a good job of that. So um, that will be one of them. And then half court, I call it half court pace. They wear teams out not by getting up and down the court, but in the half court, they're not afraid to, to take up 17, 18 seconds uh, in the half court to find the open shot. And especially in Denver, you know, teams get tired of playing defense for 18 seconds every single time down court and running left to right following six or seven passes uh, just to stay in front of the defense yeah offensive rebounding 25.7 percent offensive rebound percentage last year which was second in the nba i would predict that's going to go down a little bit i know kenneth freed only played 500 minutes but he had a 17 percent offensive rebound rate uh so it, yeah. he'll be missed a little bit in that regard i also think that Jokic, you know he was below 10 last year uh but it seems like the evolution is going to be him stretching out to three even more and generally your offensive rebound percentage is going to go down 
when you, you do that Plumley, i'm sure will still be around the, the room so i think they'll still be solid in that regard i could see it going down a little bit um anything else that and, and then on the defensive glass i think they could actually be better this year they're only 15th last year i think having Millsap, I and mean, they didn't really have a traditional power forward to play last year on the defensive glass and i actually think Plumley, although he'll get defensive rebounds statistically his teams usually haven't seen to, to defensive rebound that well when, when he's been out there uh, against the best centers so uh but if Millsap plays more i think that can help with that a little bit um what else do you yeah. see as, as a strength here that we haven't uh mentioned yet anything else or, or should we uh should we move to the weaknesses here uh, we could probably go to weaknesses we've we've touched on this a lot of this so I, I think one way they can get better is in their turnover percentage you know i think when you're always when you're running yeah. a lot of stuff through the bigs uh you're trying to make great passes i mean Jokic is maybe probably i would say the best passing big man in nba history certainly the most spectacular passing big man in nba history at this point yeah. but he's going to throw some turnovers you mentioned they want murray for example to be more aggressive um isaiah actually will help there he's a pretty low turnover player uh if he can keep up his yeah. history um so i think they can get better there they're 22nd in turnover rate a year ago and then the other thing that they do a lot of is foul Plumley is a big foul guy yeah. Jokic, i think he can get better there he, he that's part of why he's able to play more minutes uh and they have a lot of young guys but hopefully uh, they'll uh, some of these younger guys will just you know kind of get it a little bit more they won't foul as much and i think uh, especially when they want to play at a fast pace fouling can really really be damaging uh because you're giving the other team a chance to catch their breath uh, in that mile high air so i think a lot with denver's defense talking about weaknesses here denver i don't think defensively has a ton of weaknesses i think they have one glaring weakness that that teams just can kind of exploit and teams realize that is you know spreading them out and running that pick and roll with putting Jokic in the pick and roll and and especially when moody was there the moody Jokic combo the barton Jokic combo and then next year, the Isaiah Thomas-Jokic combo. Denver obviously struggled with that, but one of the areas they struggled the most, they they are really, really bad. That back line, really, really bad at helping. And as a result, they gave up a ton of catch-and-shoot three-pointers. Uh, I think they were among the league's worst at, in, in giving up those, those types of shots. And a lot of that came from team would run a pick-and-roll. You know, Denver would collapse so hard into the paint to cover them that it would leave the, that skip pass wide open. Uh, LeBron James, there was a game at Pepsi Center where LeBron, I think, had assists on the first seven possessions of the game because it was just so easy to read Denver's help side there. Uh, Russell Westbrook had a 21 assist game in Denver. Same exact thing, just in the pick and roll, quick skip pass, wide open three. So that's a big, as much as Denver, you know, their whole defense gets discounted, I think it's it, routinely that that exact thing. They're, they're so nervous to get beaten on the pick and roll for good reason that they end up giving a lot of very easy, uncontested catch and shoot three-point shots. Yeah, and it's always uh, perpetually uh, Malone has had to tinker with the defense. There was talk last year oh, we're, we're going to get Jokic more engaged we'll get him out on the floor in pick and roll make it make the ball handler give it up uh you know I, dubious how much that works I mean I, again I I don't envy Jokic is probably a little <laughs> bit underrated as a defender the advanced metrics like him okay but you know I think just on film he's got a lot of weaknesses so I don't envy the coaching staff that task of trying to paper it over uh another thing we can look at too is uh winning on the road this team 31 and 10 at home oh yeah 15 and 26 on the road a year ago um so that's another one that you can look at and that's another it goes back to the focus thing
thing and the personality thing. I think a young team that just some nights you're you're in Atlanta, Atlanta on a second night of a back to back trying to lose and you lose those games. I, I think that's just a focus thing with with a young team and and yeah, you'd hope that they'll be five to ten percent better because that means an extra win or two. Yeah. Now worth noting, I I think that the home away distribution is more random than people give it credit for, and, and they actually had a better home road distribution in sixteen seventeen than you would expect. At least you know they're twenty two and nineteen at home and eighteen and twenty three away. That's actually you know most NBA teams obviously are way worse on the road. So that's actually you know generally I think the home team wins about sixty percent of games in the NBA. Are you ready for a little uh, prediction here? Let's do it. All right, I will go first here, and I'm going to mark this team with 47 wins i think they'll win one more than they did a year ago i think they were a little bit lucky they had a 45 win uh point differential last year you know i think they did pretty well in terms of health you know harris missed that time at the end Millsap missed about half the year but you know that's kind of an average amount of injuries i don't think they'll be any luckier than that necessarily this year so that's where i'm going to go i think the offense will get better i think the defense will be about the same if i had to guess maybe it could get a little bit worse with the addition of, of thomas the loss of chandler so i think that that probably ends up evening out and, and they're right about the same same place so 47 wins i think you got it um 47 it sounds like a good number i i could see anywhere from 40 you know 5 to 49 being like the the really the, the middle of, of what you would expect most outcomes fall somewhere within there but um I, I think they're a really really good team i actually feel um i'm usually you know the last couple of years i think i've been right on the number with my official prediction at denver stiffs that comes out the night of opening night i, I think i've been right on the number the last two years uh, uh you, you were year, right on I this think, show last year you had 46 and i had 47 last year oh wow um so so 47 i feel pretty good about i i feel like they have a good chance of being there or higher um i just think they're a little bit thin at a couple crucial positions i mean if Jokic misses any amount of time then, then they're going to lose quite a bit um so they're, they're a little the the wing position i think will barton becomes extra important just because there's nobody else that's that's like a surefire guy to be there so i think they'll run into a couple of those streaks where where just bad injury luck kind of kills them for a week or two um but i think they're a very good team i think they're a playoff team and uh i think their upside is actually surprisingly high yeah so uh, what would you make uh, as their best case uh, scenario then uh, oh and by the way you've been right on it because two years ago uh you had 39 wins and they finished with 40 so you have uh you've been right on track <laughs> with this there you with go. this team <laughs> uh and, and i wasn't that far off either i think i had 37 two years ago and i was 47 yeah. last year uh so yeah uh what do you see as the best case scenario for these guys this is where it's fun and this is where i'm extra optimistic i don't think that my prediction is 47 but my denver's upside is actually as high as almost any of these teams that are sort of middle zone you know your lakers and and uh your pelicans and spurs and teams like that i I think denver's upside could be somewhere like 54 wins and this is you know if there's none of that early season trying to figure out who's who what's what if they just kind of pick up where they left off i think they finished on a 20 23 and 10 or something like that 23 and 11 to, to close out the year they they, they kind of put things together at the end so their upside if everything clicks and they have good health i, I think their upside is 54 wins and, and maybe even a top three seed out, out, out west to me i just don't see how the defense gets good enough there uh you know i mean maybe if they have the number one offense and the number 15 defense but that number 15 defense even seems like unrealistic to me so you know i would probably go more in the 52 win range with the caveat of course that you know i'm thinking more of their point differential be that of a 52 win team you know you can always have plus or minus four or so in either direction yeah. just due to luck in close games or something like that so you know probably that number is more like 55 or 56 uh but you know in terms of their point scoring 
fundamentals uh, i feel that way um what about a uh, worst case scenario you know barring injuries of course just just trying to look at it um i think missing the playoffs clearly i mean they're yeah. going to be on the bubble one way or another just because that's how loaded the west is but um i would say probably somewhere around 42 42 wins 41 42 wins that's everybody's healthy but they just aren't quite good enough defensively and they lose a lot of games 112 to 110 109 um you know outside the playoffs and and maybe the the 10 seed the thing that's interesting for denver is they have their pick uh sold next year and it's top 13 protected Tw- so top 12 they, protected right i thought it was top 13 protected um i'm pretty sure it's 12 yeah so well either way it's an interesting situation because you know there's a chance where denver is going to be if they get in the same position as last year and lose in game 82 you know that's that's doubly crucial or you know doubly killer for them yeah the denver nuggets 2019 first rounder is top 12 protected through 2024 per uh okay top 12 i don't know why i had a top 13 in my head uh i'm gonna say 39 wins for them just because i think they're real thin you know if they even and if Jokic misses any games i think you know in those games they just don't have much of a chance and i think just generally it's so hard for me to think of this team you know getting into the mid 50s and wins because i just they aren't a team that like takes care of business you know there's (laughs) and it's not you know maybe some of that's mental but i think it's more just their style their defense is bad enough that on any given night yeah they have this great offense but the teams can just score with them you know and then yeah go ahead no i was gonna say this is my belief with with Jokic, and and you know it was a bad sign coming into next year that he didn't want to say this was his team and all of those things i do think that he's a guy he's been the lowest paid player on the nuggets roster every three every season for the last three next year he's the highest paid you know he's got that 148 million dollar contract i think a lot of that they a team that doesn't take care of business just has a lot to do with him and him not embracing the fact that he's the guy and so a a part of my hope is and this is sort of like a non-basketball thing but i just think that he comes into the season understanding his responsibility for the first time ever and maybe that makes denver a little bit more consistent in their effort um on a tuesday night Uh, that's that's sort of i'm I'm sort of banking on that yeah uh, that's uh, that may be true and you know yosage or yosage Jokic. no wonder danny gets (laughs) at me about my pronunciation Jokic, uh his usage has gone up he's 19 percent his rookie year 24 percent last year you know and i just the more possessions they run through him the better because he's obviously a a very efficient player and certainly that will be the mandate uh you know i mean i think in the worst case scenario i i you know you could see them just starting off poorly again and there'd be pressure on malone and they could move on from him you know that wouldn't shock me if that happens it's it's in the possibility absolutely It, it he didn't get an extension for a reason and i think a lot of that is yeah by by january if the team is so far out of the playoffs or or just not performing to snuff you know that might be it for him oh well but and the flip side if they're playing great and make the playoffs he's going to get a long-term extension i mean it's they're kind of in a funny spot with him yeah i mean is he he, i assume he's on the usual like four minus one uh you know coaching contract the the kind of standard three years plus a team option yeah so this is the final year of which you know coaches don't like to be in in that oh well well, then i mean if that's if that's true then you know they're just going to tank they're going to suck this you can't go into a season with a lame duck coach adam like there's there's just no way like (laughs) you have to either you have to extend him (laughs) that is the part that is the line you always hear but but i think there actually is something to that and you know malone's certainly in an uncomfortable position as a coach knowing that he's fighting for his job you know does that change the decision making that he has to make does that put him at odds with the front office if he's not playing the guys the front office want you know but again the denver can take care of all these things by getting off to a hot start and and in the easiest part of their schedule is that first month which, which is kind of unusual for Denver. yeah i think that will help them you know because they definitely have kind of been behind the eight ball after the first month 
or to you know around 500 or you know i think there were like you know five games under 500 early on in two years ago so yeah i think that will help them a, a lot that'll help malone a lot too he probably was uh thanking his lucky stars when he saw the, the schedule but i also think you know as far as the lame duck this is a team that especially now with the farid and arthur gone not that there are bad eggs in the locker room but they were veterans who you know would have liked yeah. to have been playing i think really trey lyles is probably the only guy maybe who might get squeezed and could be a little bit of a problem in the locker room you know these are isaiah maybe to some degree you know, it could be a little ornery uh but you know he, he's yeah. trying to, to get a contract so you imagine he'll be a, on good behavior so and this team has much more of an established pecking order than in past years so i don't think there's anyone who's going to like be a huge problem for him like oh well he can't discipline these guys because in the last year of his contract i think this is a team that knows what it is now the, i think the roster really has malone's back i mean jamal murray has said he hopes he plays for him his entire career um you know will barton gary everybody's been very vocal about him the two guys you mentioned you know wilson chandler and kenneth freed were the two who i think they just got stale in denver they weren't part of this future they they weren't excited for the progress of jamal murray and you know so i so i do think that this is a locker room that has his back um at least going into this yeah chandler too you remember i mean he was agitating for a trade it was kind of clear that he didn't want to be there for a time um i will say this you know going back to the best case scenario it is hard for me to see even if this team you know does get like the four seed or something it's hard for me to see them winning a playoff round uh with number one i think they're just going to be very much happy to be there you know they're going to have that type of vibe and number two i think they just have some some weaknesses that can be very easily exploited in a playoff series and at the same time their offense while it is uh, pretty awesome you know is the type of thing that if you prepare for they don't have those dominating one-on-one players that you just have no solution for in a playoff series i think that's a very fair criticism but i'm gonna i'm just gonna put this in and i said this i think uh to danny just a a couple weeks ago a lot of your best rim protecting centers that were quote unquote the mold for your center defensively got played off the court last in last year's playoffs gobert Embiid, capella and so as much as i agree with you i think denver's first trip to the playoffs is a five game series almost no matter what they just have to there's so many guys that have never been there um i'm at least gonna throw out there this idea and i and you said it earlier and and people tell it to me all the time oh it's so hard to build a championship with this guy or that guy it's hard to build a championship with anybody (laughs) i mean kevin durant and russell westbrook was not the recipe for a championship those are two top 10 guys um so yeah it's it's hard to build a championship contender around Jokic, but at the same time he is as unique of a player i think as there is in the nba and when as we see rare the as a player uh, you mean as, as rare <laughs> relatively see, unique yeah as no, no as but like there. that's one of the times when saying rare as a synonym doesn't work right like i mean like i'm sorry like <laughs> this idea that you can only say unique when there's only one of them you know and that there aren't degrees of uniqueness i'm like that just has got to go yeah. in the english language like I, i'm i'm all for like proper grammar and convention but when you don't have a good way of expressing something like that's why that usage is developed right so yeah well, well let me just make this one point though because what makes Jokic such a unique player is that he is I think the most multi-dimensional offensive center in the league and that it's not like you can take away the post up and now he has nothing or take away the three I mean Towns maybe 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 more dynamic but but Jokic is a guy who there's a reason Denver has beaten Golden State every single year I know it's regular season but because when Denver tries or when Golden State tries to go small Jokic just absolutely punishes Draymond um the same thing happens to a lot of these teams that 
you know, as good as they are on both ends of the court, they have such a hard time doing their favorite lineups against against Jokic. So I agree with you. I think they're going to have to rebuild the roster whenever they're ready to contend. But I also think that Denver has this unique counterpunch that that nobody else in the league has that I'm curious to see how it looks in a playoff. Yeah, and certainly I'm rooting for Jokic to have a great season and, and get better because he, he is one of the most fun players to watch. And, and I would like to see him in the playoffs because you're right. I think he, he's a relatively unique player in NBA in, even in NBA history if not even in the league right now um so thanks again man this this was awesome uh where can people keep up uh with your stuff locked on nuggets every day of the week and then Denver Stiffs is is the hub for for nuggets coverage we've got 10 writers three credentialed reporters uh lots of lots of good stuff we're doing on that wow, site that's huge that's like I mean I guess <laughs> how is like interest in the nuggets been over you know these this, oh I'm this glad, renaissance I'm really glad you mentioned that because another X factor for Denver is just that you know their fan base has left and, and last year there were some great games at Pepsi Center I think Denver has a very good home court when the team is good and there was a buzz about the city at the end of the la- of, of the team last year sellouts for the last like seven or eight games uh I've heard from you know ticket sales people that they're through the roof right now so there might be, there's a, there's a chance that Denver actually has that 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 loud mile high altitude great home court advantage coming into the season which would be so such a stark contrast to the last five years yeah i mean and if you had to just pick a a team that's just fun to watch i mean they're clearly in the top five to me so that's a it's a good reason and you know Jokic is certainly a likable guy so is murray so uh yeah hopefully that it'll be the interest will be continuing to improve in denver and maybe they might actually like you know be willing to pay the luxury tax one of these years uh and and get a g league (laughs) team if uh you know they can get a little more money into uh the Cronkies pockets because you know they, they can't afford it uh without uh you know, more more ticket sales i suspect a, a g league team will be announced sometime in the next year or half year <laughs> <laughs> but don't quote me on that though yeah all right well good thing we're not recording this uh okay <laughs> all right man well yeah and uh looking forward to uh doing some talk on lockdown nuggets uh for w- when we run it back uh, during the season so uh this is great thanks again thanks for having me one of the guys that i've listened to back when he was on bill simmons show years and years ago is dave damashek and the dave damashek football program is a great way for analysis and entertainment about the national football league he's got impeccable knowledge of the nfl and a signature lighthearted rapport with his guests many of whom just happen to be the biggest names in the league damashek and his guests operate on a strict no jive policy only honest unfiltered opinions allowed what's it really like in that all who are the best trash talkers in the league who's the best cornerback antonio brown has ever faced from cam jordan's favorite will ferrell movies to dak prescott's take on the most handsome nfl quarterbacks the dave damashek football program tackles the game of football and the game called life Tune in to the Dave Damashek football program for bold predictions, quarterback rankings, and hot takes on the latest news stories ahead of kickoff in 2018. Subscribe to the Dave Damashek football program available twice a week. Listen now on your favorite podcast app or NFL.com. Let's talk some Orlando magic here with Danny. A lot of changes in Orlando to some degree. Steve Clifford is in as the coach. You're going to be breaking in the number six overall pick, Mo Bamba. John Isaac, who barely played at all last year due to an ankle injury, is back. 
back and should hopefully be healthy. So uh, we got a lot to talk about with these guys. I, I think the place to start with here is just with this overall tension to me that kind of pervades this franchise, despite a, a relative lack of success over the last few seasons. The most number of games that they've won was 35 since Dwight Howard left town and were 25 and 57 a year ago. But there's this tension that we've talked about before between some of the young guys coming in and then these more established players, your Vucevic, Aaron Fournier, Terrence Ross type of guys who are solid NBA players, but haven't really won anything in Orlando, but have been starting players, have uh, eight figure salaries. And so is the emphasis going to be this year on trying to compete with these guys? Or is it going to be on trying to develop uh, the youngs, Isaac and Bamba, and maybe to a lesser extent, uh, Aaron Gordon, who still is only 22 younger than some of those other guys we're talking about. Yeah, that's going to be a real point of tension and clarification on this team. One piece that is beneficial to the Magic is that, generally speaking, those guys play different positions. I mean, they do have Melvin Frazier, who will be a part of the wing rotation. But generally speaking, you know, you can throw the big men in one camp and then you can throw the perimeter guys in another and kind of tell two different stories there. And, you know, we'll talk a lot about their point guard situation, but that is kind of its own kettle of fish. And I kept on going when I was working on the kind of the, the research for doing this in two two different directions, oftentimes one and then immediately going to the other. And so one was getting into this idea of like, oh, the Magic could have been better last year. And they had this better stretch during the year. And then part of why they got sidetracked was injuries. I mean, last year, Aaron Gordon played less than 60 games, Fournier, Vucevic, and then Terrence Ross only played in 24. So you have all that kind of stuff. And so that leads credence to the argument that the Magic could be better that, than they were last year in terms of overall record, things like that. But then you talked about the youth movement and the point guard position, and both those started bringing me back into, well, what do they want to do? And this offseason did not provide clarity to that end, not only with those guys, but also with Steve Clifford, who has shown patience with young guys, but I could imagine him wanting to show something this year. Yeah, and to add to that, 25 and 57, but had the point differential of a 28-win team, and the injuries were extremely rough. I mean, really, no core player played more than the 69 games that Jonathan Simmons put on and only one magic player in part because they're tanking pretty hard down the end only one magic player even eclipsed 2,000 minutes again the aforementioned Simmons another one of these guys who uh, isn't doesn't have quite the pedigree of a Fournier or a Vucevic but still is someone who's established in the league has been in the playoffs so and I mean this team's leading score barely eclipsed a a thousand points last year you know and uh, 17.8 points a game Evan Fournier uh, was their leading score a year ago so they don't have a lot of star power but they didn't have a lot of health either um what about Clifford you've been uh I think the biggest place where he can help improve them based on his record in Charlotte is on the defensive glass where they rank 30th in the NBA defensive rebounding only 75 percent of opponent misses a year ago yeah I kind of saw a series of different hallmarks of the Steve Clifford era in Charlotte. And remember that they changed personnel. You know, Kemba was was a stalwart there, but in terms of the front court personnel, I mean, they had the Zeller year. Al Jefferson, of course, was the guy for a lot of that time. And then Dwight Howard last year. And broadly speaking, the Hornets did a really nice job of getting defensive rebounds, as you just said. They also didn't foul, which is interesting, and did a nice job of preventing shots at the rim. Now, there were different years where the, those shots that happened at the rim went in or did not, depending on various things. 
things. And I wonder what elements of that will carry over to this team because his personnel, particularly at the center spot, is dramatically different. I mean, I really like what Bamba and John Isaac and to a lesser extent, Aaron Gordon can be defensively, but they are not exactly low foul defensive rebound monsters at this point in their career. Yeah. And neither really, you know, Nikola Vucevic is a guy who's always gotten a lot of defensive rebounds, 28% last year, but you know, they really have never been a great rebounding team with him on the floor. So I I got a, a few trivia here for you. Close your eyes. Don't look at basketball reference. What was the offensive rebound percentage of the Magics, and we'll say of guys who played more than a thousand minutes, the offensive rebound percentage of the Magics returning leader in that category? Ooh, it's got to be below 10. Uh, I'm going to go six. Yeah, that 6.6% offensive rebounds from Vucevic, who has the, the body type actually to be a better offensive rebounder. But because I think he, he actually had one of his better seasons in a while, he was able to stretch it out to three, still below the league average in true shooting, of course, uh, because he never, ever gets to the foul line. He was only shooting 34%. But he, I thought that that really helped their offense, having him as a stretch big because they don't have the most dynamic creators on this team. Uh, so he's going to be standing further away from the rim but yeah i mean they really you know they overall last season and bismack biombo had the highest offensive rebound percent at 10 percent. he is now a, a hornet they have timofey mozgov instead so they're 29th in offensive rebound percentage and as we mentioned 30th in defense boards i don't expect them to get much better on the offensive i think bomba can give them a little bit of something there uh but you know probably no more than biombo did vucevic seems to be stretching this game out uh so it's really on the defensive glass where you hope that they can make some improvements and then the other place where Steve Clifford teams generally excel is turning the ball over. Uh, the Magic turned it over on 13.3% of their possessions, pretty close to average 19th in the NBA, but Charlotte was always among the top categories, but they had a, a great creator in Kemba Walker. Charlotte or uh, Orlando doesn't necessarily have a, a player that good. So this is going to be another one of these things where they don't have great, we've established they don't have great defensive rebounding personnel. We've established that they don't have great personnel as far as not turning the ball over, although I think actually playing some of their real players will help with that too. You know, they're playing a lot of young guys you know it wouldn't do at Rodney Purvis and all those guys at the end you're going to turn the ball over much more often with those guys but I think uh it's going to be very interesting to see if Clifford can take away what he probably considers the low-hanging fruit of this team uh not giving up points in transition will be very interesting too that's another Clifford hallmark the magic to the extent they experienced success early in the season it was with Frank Vogel going to more of a running approach I talked to someone on their coaching staff uh, during that eight and four start when they visited Golden State he was telling me how they'd really been emphasizing that it was, it was something a little different than what Frank had been doing before, and they had some success with it early. So that'll be interesting to see where their pace goes this year as well. Yeah, especially because the Clifford teams in Charlotte didn't really run a lot. Like they 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 were, did a good job of not turning the ball over, but they also didn't force many turnovers and didn't run on the turnovers they forced. So some of that could be personnel. Again, it's like what is a Steve Clifford team and what was based on his personnel. I think that's one of the most interesting elements with this team, and also how that affects who he plays i mean a lot of times coaches the first thought and it should be the first thought is the style what do they emphasize what do they emphasize or in a more basic point what gets a guy benched can be a can be a basic question there but there are also the the key questions of who do they play who do they play together and how how much do they or how do they apportion the minutes probably better way of putting that and 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 real real quickly on on this idea of the new coach and the style coming in the 
uh, Clifford's predecessor, Frank Vogel, is a guy where we thought we knew what Frank Vogel was about, right? Played two bigs, smash mouse basketball, rebound, played great defense in Indiana. And then, you know, Orlando was not able to do that at all. And he tried to evolve a little bit, but, you know, with the new regime coming in, especially that he was, you know, not long once things turned south last year. But, you know, the, we've already seen a coach try to put his stamp on this team. And even going back to Scott Scott, I mean, they've had a lot of these coaches who are kind of defensive first coaches uh, lately. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. But I, I'm, I mean, this personnel does have limitations, even though I think, as we talked about in the open, there's reasons to be more optimistic than where they finished last year. But you're going to start talking about uh, what their rotation is going to look like. Right. And then this gets into the tension of young guys versus established. I mean, I don't think they're as much as we don't like Nick Vucevic as necessarily as like a, a center, especially with in, defensively with where the league is going and everything like that. I fully estimate that he will be a better basketball player this year than Mobamba just because it takes young, thin guys a while. Like that's just the way this works. And most rookies aren't good. And Bamba is not that preternaturally. I mean, he's physically gifted, but he's not. I, I don't think that he's has the mental edge in it. And, you know, in some really he had some moments, but certainly wasn't there. And John Isaac will be in that weird lane like a lot of guys, sadly, in recent years where he's sort of a de facto rookie where he got to kind of live the life a little bit and got to see what an NBA season is like but he didn't really get a ton of minutes and so will they give serious time to what looks like the key elements of their future and of course Aaron Gordon is in that conversation well it's just that he doesn't it's not a a sharpening issue because Aaron Gordon is a good player and he's also a young player yeah and I mean it seems like just looking at the depth chart right now they're gonna have a four-man rotation at the big spots between Bamba Vucevic it seems like the tone out of there is that he might start Uh, he's in the last year of a contract paying him about 12 million certainly a trade candidate uh one of many players that we've advocated who can play that you know maybe could be moved to take on a little bit more bad money because i don't see this team being a, a huge player in free agency next year and they don't have a ton of money to spend by my recollection i think they're only around 20 million or so next year so although i, I would have to double check that so it seems like gordon and isaac and then vucevic and bamba but it, it's tough because vucevic in theory has to play and then Isaac and Gordon probably their two most promising young guys at least in my opinion they may feel Bamba is higher but uh play the same position and so it's just how are you going to play those guys together I mean I guess they've tried Aaron Gordon at the three two years ago that was a massive failure I still don't think he has the skill level for that and then even if he's playing the three it's not like Isaac and Bamba are like so skilled at the four and the five where it's like okay you're making up for uh having a lower skilled guy at the three so I guess maybe Isaac gets some minutes at center as well and and then you know who ends up getting squeezed is the question mark you know is it bomba because he's just you know a 19 year old 20 year old big man he's just not ready yet uh you know maybe there'll be some injuries there they've been struggling with some injuries but i, I think that log jam is going to be initially one of the biggest things that clifford is going to have to figure out yeah and as you said there are a lot of players with financial pressures as well and so you not only have the ideal allocation but you have the personalities involved here and i mean terrence ross in particular you could think about it he had a lost year last year only played in 25 games he's gonna want to get minutes out there and if he's he's better than melvin frazier he's better than some of these other guys he's gonna want to make sure that he gets that opportunity and he certainly could because there aren't many guys in front of him but that still can be challenging yeah i wouldn't expect frazier to play much i wouldn't expect it wouldn't do to play much at least while 
while they're actually attempting to to compete here you know Frazier had a really rough summer league as we talked about in that podcast that shot it extremely poorly so did it wouldn't do uh who was in the same boat last year uh and bo- both those guys are a little bit older too I mean I mean I I like the Frazier pick you know certainly in the 30s as someone who has the potential to turn into a 3 and D guy but I, I'm not sure that he's there yet and so you know, like a lot of teams despite having a lot of players they don't really have a true 3 and D guy to play at the small forward position you know I mean I guess you could probably say John Simmons is the closest there but he's a little undersized against the biggest threes of which there are all of a sudden a lot in this conference but I think Aaron Gordon can probably guard most of those guys you know if it's Kawhi Leonard or if it's Giannis and then but it's tough though to switch someone like Fournier onto the opposing team's power forward as well you know he doesn't quite have the size he's not a physical player so they do have a little bit of a hole there as well and it would just it would be great for their long-term development if there was some way that Aaron Gordon could play the three but I just I really don't see how that could happen so uh, you know Gordon to me could very easily be a trade candidate he's on a great contract right now that starts at 21 million this year and declines all the way down to 16 million uh, over the four years uh, that four years it's about 74 million I think in total I'm guessing they would let the string play out a little bit longer on that, but they they could listen. And the benefit, yeah, yeah. the benefit of getting yeah. a guy. I'm not on... saying they're like trying to shop him yeah, right yeah. now, but and I think you know also he could just be way better than John Isaac. You know, John yeah. Isaac, we've been impressed by his defense. His offense, I think, has a ways to go right now, especially from three. So while I think Isaac has more upside as a defender than Gordon, they are kind of different players, and I think it's entirely possible that Gordon just is better than Isaac, and, well, and so Isaac just you know ends up not really working out that much, and especially. Especially if Mo Bamba is a more clear part of their future than Jonathan Isaac, I think Gordon fits better with Bamba than than Isaac does at this point. You know, you can have low usage guys, but they don't really have anybody to sop up that extra extra stuff. And so Gordon, talented offensive player, you can let Bamba do his thing defensively. Like I, I am very intrigued by the Isaac Bamba defensive combination. Like there were there were some moments in summer league where they just put a lid on the basically the ten oh, feet yeah. around the basket, and so I love that sort of thing. But but then that is compounded by what I think is like when I get excited about what the magic could be is like, oh yeah, that's right. Their point guards are DJ Augustine, Jerry and Grant and Isaiah Briscoe. Yeah, that's really where it's difficult. Grant was picked up for free, essentially the fourth year of his rookie contract, making about uh, two million, two and a half million this year. Uh, the Bulls just brought him to the magic uh, on a salary clearing trade. Grant has talent. You know, he's pretty athletic. Uh, I mean, I think he's gotten a little bit of a raw deal because he played so poorly in the playoffs in 2017 for the Bulls that you know you can argue that he might have actually been the most effective point guard in the roster over the last couple of years in Chicago and so I think he'll be given a chance there Augustine uh last year was like a was one of a was the alternating good year for him right so he's due for a bad year do I have that straight yeah it is it is kind of a crazy bounce each direction for him so like last year 62 true shooting 15.4 PER the year before 11 PER er 52 true shooting and like that and he has big swings not only in just like three-point shooting which is one that you could see for a lot of guys like him as, as being part but like his shooting at the rim last year so he's been for his career about 52 percent at the rim last year 57 percent, and the year before 48 so like he has all these kind of elements that that can go back and forth i mean this team will be different than last year's team in a couple different ways depending on what steve clifford does in terms of their offensive philosophy where different guys are positioned and everything like that but that's not necessarily a good sign. And with Grant, I think you and I both like him more. But remember that basically the Bulls chose Cameron Payne over him. So that is saying something. I might disagree yeah, with their they, evaluation. They also chose Cameron.
Cameron Payne over, you know, a second round pick and Taj Gibson and Doug yeah. McDermott too. Yeah, so. exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know how rational they are on the campaign front, but that that's also completely true. And, and, and they also have team control on Payne for actually, no, is that true? No, they, they don't. Those, Those guys, guys were drafted the same draft, year. Aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So I, I think that Grant will have, well, he will certainly have an opportunity. And really, I think what they're, what the magic are looking for from that spot, and this kind of goes along with the idea of it being youth movement, is just seeing if either one of those guys, Augustine being the leader right now, can be a part of their rotation moving forward. Augustine's under contract for the 1920 season already. So that make that already makes yeah. him leader too. But by the way, I mean, we trashed that contract, but he actually was like worth that last year. Yeah. He actually was, was pretty good. Solid, solid point guard uh, play is incredibly valuable in the league. And that yeah. was his age 30 season. We'll see about the last two years. Yeah. yeah. We'll see about the next two years, but. Uh, and he, so was, and he wasn't uh, worth it the yeah. year before either. So, you know, it, it could end up, we'll, we'll see whether which which is the oasis but hopefully for hopefully for him it wasn't hopefully for him it wasn't 16 17 that was so here's another one for you uh, among players on the magic who played more than 600 minutes who is their returning leader in free throw rates who played more than how many minutes 600 so we're leaving out kem birch here that's uh oh hey big spender oh uh, he had a 48 percent free throw rate he did I, because I he didn't I take many shots to play a ton this year yeah <sighs> I'm going to go Fournier. You're, you're never, you're never going to get it. The answer is one DJ Augustine. Wow. Led the magic in free throw rate uh, among the guys who played a fair amount. I mean, other than like, you know, Biombo, who is just so, lo- so low usage. Uh, the only other guy over 30% was John Simmons. Um, and pretty much everyone else on this team does not get to the line. Aaron Gordon, 26%. Vucevic, 11% on good 26% Lord. usage. Sorry. Good. I just said, good Lord. I mean, that's that's ridiculously yeah. low and and john isaac who you know, only played 536 minutes last year but uh 17 free throw rate for him i mean that's that's really ugly well I mean, and aaron gordon for somebody as athletic as athletic as aaron gordon is you could hope that his would be over 26 percent as yeah. well. well i mean he he took a lot of jump shots he did last year well aaron and gordon. for, I mean, for he, listeners a... who remember there was a 15 and 60 when i went back and looked i was basically looking at why was aaron gordon so ineffective as a transition player last year and it was because a shockingly large proportion of of his transition attempts were not at the rim they were just jump shots and just cleaning that up would help him a lot and i mean it's not like they need aaron gordon to be a transition jump shooter on this team yeah and gordon let's talk about where he's at skill level wise here and why i have some skepticism about his ability to play the three other than the fact that it didn't work two years ago gordon you remember started out last season absolutely on fire he was shooting over 50 percent for at least a month from downtown maybe even more uh and despite playing only 58 games he regressed enough to finish the season at 33.6 percent from three so below the league average despite that scorching start and it seems like you know sometimes that's almost the worst thing that can happen to a guy coming in off of the summer where it's like oh man i'm a totally different player i put in all this work all these shots are going in i'm going to keep jacking and then you know you, you get to a point where you really start taking bad shots maybe even you know worsen your shot selection because there's probably uh, taking better shots is what got you hot to begin with uh both in, in a game and over the course of a season i think you can make that argument and then but what makes me even more concerned is he also took a fair number of long twos and only 27 percent on twos outside of 16 feet and you know floater range no touch at all 29 percent there so he took 
about 35% of his shots as twos outside of the restricted area. And he'd shoot in about 30% on those shots. And so that number one, I mean, that's not great. You know, he's probably taking on too much of an offensive role there, uh, you know, despite the fact they don't necessarily have a ton of other options. And number two, it doesn't augur well for his ability to be a really good three-point shooter when, you know, he has no touch on anything away from the basket on two-point range. After New Year's, which is about half of Aaron Gordon's season, just because of the injuries, he shot 28% from three and 65% from the line, which was more in line with his career averages than, again, he was also shooting well from the free throw line, and that was something we looked at as a sign. So overall for the year, he ended up at 70%, which was actually exactly his career average. Yeah, and now when you consider the fact that he was like shooting like 41% from the foul line in college and really just was not a shooting threat at all, the fact that he's even gotten to the point that he has is probably pretty impressive, but to expect that he can take you know the next step and become like a really good shooter you know i'm not sure he ever gets there can he get to be solid you know that's a a question with incremental improvement again only 22 gordon doesn't turn 23 until i believe september so which may actually be after you already you listen to this we're pre-recording this by a a little bit here um so uh, anyone you look at i mean we talked about gordon and and how he gets better How, how about isaac where where is his game at i think maybe summer league might be a little more of an indication than uh where he was last year but really he is not there yet offensively do you think he can make big strides this year big strides is probably asking a lot i mean with isaac for me right now he's more of that low usage just stretch the floor and hope that the guy respects your capacity to shoot more than anything else i don't think you want him to do much with the ball in his hands and then depending on how how aggressive you want him to be on the offensive glass philosophies can shift on that we've talked about clifford a little bit on this already then maybe you use him a little bit in that capacity but i, I don't see him as as that, you know, Jabari Parker for where you put the ball in his hands or anything like that. You know, I, I think that my my I was high on Isaac, not on the theory that he would be a dominant offensive player, but that he could do the things that you ask of him well enough to kind of stay out of the way of everybody else. And that would be significant for any team, but especially a team that, you know, will want to get some spacing from the four so that they're not just not running into a thicket every time their drivers are getting into the basket. Yeah, Isaac was 35% from downtown but not a huge number of attempts there only got up 46 attempts last season in those 536 minutes the one thing i i slightly disagree with you on is i especially just because he's a big part of this team going forward and i think this is an element that they don't have i would like to explore his ability to get into the mid post especially against switches and use his length to shoot jump shots over the top he didn't do a ton of this in summer league but i thought when he did it looked pretty good uh and if teams are switching against the magic which is a strategy i would deploy quite a bit against them because you know on paper they really don't have anyone who's going to beat you one-on-one on this team you know maybe vucevic in the post a little bit but then is there enough spacing for that and, and posting up is tough uh, on against switching defenses because you can get late in the clock you have trouble entering the ball they can switch back behind the play etc so it, that's not necessarily the easy way to beat a switch but i would like to see that in the mid post and see you know get him the ball with a live dribble at 17 18 feet where he can turn a pace i think his first step with a live dribble is much better than his dribble game you know which really in summer league he wasn't able to get by guys had to take a lot of long twos you know as they tried to let him expand his game a little bit so that's what i'd like to see a little bit more and especially when he if he plays with vucevic i would like to see that because he'll have a little more space to work with there even bamba you know we'll see where he is as a three-point shooter i'm not expecting he's going to be effective from downtown this year although he has made some improvements that's for a rookie seven footer that's uh expecting him to drain league average from three is probably unrealistic 
realistic. Um, so that's what I'd like to see a little bit of from Isaac, uh, just as more of kind of a spoon feeding him those kind of touches that necessarily that it's going to work amazing well, but they don't have anybody who can operate from that area on the floor uh, other than him. Let's do the same question, but with Mo Bamba. I mean, something that was concerning to me a little bit in summer league was that he was very enthusiastically taking jump shots. And while there are times that that can work, it seemed like they were opponents were sometimes baiting him into it because Bamba is not at this point a good enough shooter to really exploit that lack of coverage. But you want him to be active offensively and doing things. So maybe that helps keep him engaged. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind him standing out there and, and might as well fire away. I mean, he apparently hits these shots in workouts. He could be an alley-oop threat to one part of his game that I think may not be ready is his hands and ability to finish around the rim through any kind of contact whatsoever. You know, he's just not going to be strong enough to do that. Even in summer league, he struggled, I thought. There he struggled in his lone year at Texas with any kind of a contest around the rim. So offensively, you know, I, I agree with you. I expect him to not be that good. And then defensively, he certainly is going to get plenty of minutes you, you would think you know it's hard if he gets less than 20 minutes a game I, I would be surprised but again rookie big men usually not that good some people had some positive reviews on his defense in summer league I didn't quite agree I, I didn't think that you know summer league just doesn't put the type of spacing and type of skill and type of athleticism of ball handlers to attack someone in the pick and roll it doesn't I think that he's going to be stressed out a little bit more in terms of his recognition in terms of his off ball help ability is why well. I expect to see some spectacular plays from him but you know I, I think expecting him to be effective this year you know if he could have the season that jared allen had last year i think you should probably be pretty happy agreed and then you know jared allen's probably going to step into a starting spot this year because the players in front of him kind of parted and that's what could happen with vooch having an expiring contract and mozgov not really mattering a whole lot there so yeah i mean you have all these different kind of disparate pieces and they have a lot of the magic have a lot of guys that i like and in the abstract i mean fournier is a capable offensive player john simmons more of to me a role guy i think he's actually was a little bit overextended last year but I mean, if the I've said this before, that if you have somebody who is a capable defender, you want them starting because there just isn't as much value in that when they're coming off the bench. It's just that he's not necessarily good enough to hold his own weight there. So you have to kind of balance all of these factors with this team. And that gets into the idea, like I could see them either putting out a like, like some other teams we've talked about, putting out a starting lineup that gets worked a little bit, but then actually having a pretty good bench. But that would probably be by playing some of their young guys over their old guys. And so they would just have an overqualified second unit yeah that that might be the case as well um let's do a quick read here we'll be right back evan fournier is another interesting player i I think in the summer of 2016 we thought it was actually a pretty good deal for the magic to get him at a little bit above 15 million a year uh, on a straight five-year deal and defensively i think he's always going to be a little bit below average but you know not a complete turnstile and he led this team in scoring a a year ago he's got some playmaking ability has shot it well from downtown can shoot it off the dribble a little bit from downtown 38 percent last year healthy three or uh healthy 6.6 three-point attempts per 36 minutes that's pretty good uh that also led the team slightly over Aaron Gordon uh so I think that he is a little miscast trying to lead this team that and we'll see what kind of an offense Clifford wants to install again I mean between Augustin who again had a great year at 42 percent from downtown last year had the ability to pull up off the dribble from three but 
but is going to struggle to get to the rim some and is very undersized defensively you know you would think that the best system would be you know the Quinn Snyder let's run a ton of pick and rolls let's try to work late into the shot clock get the churn moving and then hopefully get someone who, who can get to the rim but you know that hasn't necessarily been where Clifford has gone so far he's been much more in the high pick and roll Kemba Walker you do it and you know we're going to not turn the ball over so what would you say in today's game? And I know this is kind of irrelevant to what the Magic are because they're in their own situation, but I, I've been trying to work on this for the last few days. What would Evan Fournier's ideal role be now? Like, let's say not necessarily on like a conference finals team or anything like that, but on a low end playoff team, is he a, is he like one of the like fourth or fifth starter or is he more of a bench player to you, ideally? Well, I think he could be a fourth or fifth star. I think he's totally adequate. As a two, you just got to have like a, a point guard who, who's got a little bit more dynamic or, or maybe a, a three men who's a, a lot more dynamic I mean he, he is having him be your best guy in the perimeter which he probably is you know, I, I think he's a little bit overstretched in that role to be sure uh should we talk about where you would go with their crunch time lineup if you were one Steve Clifford and the goal is to win games correct <laughs> yes the, the goal is to win games early in the season at least wow because this is a team that you can't necessarily go small because they just don't have a ton of personnel so I mean maybe you could say Isaac at the five yeah, which is what I would do. I would have Isaac at the five, Gordon at the four, then depending on matchup, but probably Simmons, then Fournier and, and DJ Augustine as the as the five. Yeah, and feel like you're able to stop guys. Maybe you could say you've got Gordon at the four. And if you went with Terrence Ross, who we haven't really talked about at all, you know, but he does provide that bomber quotient that this team probably needs. At yeah, least especially if you're screens. playing if you're playing certain opponents that are just a little bit more limited. Yeah. Like like if they get in rock fights with the dregs, that would be a really good lineup to just to just get a little bit more offense out there. Yeah, maybe you could say that if you went with Isaac at center and you could get Augustine off the floor and you could try to switch everything and that that would be I mean I think I don't know you know those are lineups that we like that sometimes just they don't have enough ball handling and they just don't work uh but I think I would try that alignment if I were Clifford and see whether you know Fournier Ross Simmons Gordon and Isaac could be something that could work to try to you know it's not like Ross and Fournier are exactly you know bulldogs switching on to guys but you know they at least have some modicum of size I think it might that's something I would explore uh because you know it's not like you're going to be stopping people any worse than you would with Vucevic at center right I I mean, that's Vucevic is he might still be the best offensive player on this team, but he and his spacing at center, I think, is really important when they have limited creators, limited finishers at the rim. But we know what's going to happen anytime he gets into the end of a game situation. You're just going to pick and roll him to death. Uh, and so I I am a little loath to have him out there. I mean, I think certainly you could hope that Bamba could do it. You know, I, I would give him every opportunity, but seems pretty unlikely. So, yeah, maybe it is Isaac. He's probably real thin for that role as well, but especially because a lot of teams you know who are you really worried about like bludgeoning you on the glass or uh you know posting you up in the eastern conference you know maybe joel Embiid. that's probably about it so you know maybe you do try to get away with him at center he does have the reach certainly uh, to play that position and then you know you're able to get both he and gordon on the floor i think that's really the only way you can do that yeah i don't think i mean i toyed for a brief second with having gordon at the three then isaac vooch just on the idea that vooch is a better offensive player than terrence ross it's just that as a practical matter 
the defense just gets unworkable because you can't just like put Vooch on a three. It doesn't really work that way. So I agree, but there's definitely, I mean, there are a lot of options here and I think we'll see some of, you know, Ross will be out there as if he's hot. Fournier will probably be out there every single time. Um, You know, maybe you could see Grant, if, if he can start to play a little bit better defense, be a guy who closes some games, sure. especially if Augustin drops off, he's going to be 31, as you mentioned this season. Uh, What do you see as the strengths of this team? We talked about depth. Anything else uh, pop out to you here? I would love to see it end up being rim protection. I mean, if they can end up really putting a lid, a lid on the basket for for a higher proportion of the game. I mean, that's not necessarily going to be true when Vooch is playing, but Isaac has that potential. He also has defensive potential as a switch guy. And then ha- that having those players, having Bamba, having John Isaac, and maybe that activates and maximizes some of the other more limited defenders just because they're you're not as playing as scared. And you see this sometimes with teams where they're you you know that if a guy gets by you that he's going to the basket. And so sometimes that can screw up the way you screw up the way you handle coverages, and maybe that leads to players not executing the scheme perfectly. But I think it could end up just leading to some cascading positives overall for this team. I'm I'm intrigued by that possibility and just seeing where it goes. But the problem with that is it's probably going to take Isaac and Bamba a few years to turn that concept into reality should they even be good enough to do it. I think a strength that there is, especially in certain lineups, is athleticism. I mean, you got Aaron Gordon. Isaac isn't a nuclear athlete, but he's got a lot of length. Bamba's has got a lot of length. Uh, John Simmons can be spectacular in transition. Terrence Ross, we've forgotten uh, about him at, at this point, but a former dunk contest winner, a, a guy who can really run and gun. And that's a part of why I thought their lack of improvement at point guard was so disappointing, because I think if they had a guy who could really push the tempo, set guys up, uh, that this could be a very intimidating transition team at times and then they just you know to have those guys running the wings and then dj augustin who you know again has played reasonably well but is not the guy who's going to run the ball down your throat put pressure on the rim and find guys uh, streaking to the basket from the wing in transition that, that was a little bit of a disappointment to me i mean i don't know i don't know if that guy was necessarily out there we talked about maybe isaiah thomas is someone that they could have brought in who might have been a little bit more in that mold um so but i think they can put some very athletic lineups out there uh anything else that pops out of the church? i guess they have a lot of guys who can shoot the three ball on this team they're probably an above average three-point shooting team would you say yeah probably probably in that range i mean it also depends as i said before on what dj augustine we get because if he's the 36 percent free th- three-point shooter he's been before then that's still positive but we'd rather have the 41 percent guy that he's been every other year for the last few years and they have a lot of guys there they also don't have as many just the kind of michael kid gilchrist you don't need to worry about them at all like just just like basically leave them alone type of guys like jonathan simmons is a better off offensive player than that to me and their centers can all can all do stuff so you don't have those kind of the the black holes not the black holes that you give them the ball like is on white side and it never comes out other than a shot but the guys that are drags on your on your team anchors because of the way they get defended yeah i would i would agree with that i should actually clarify they were 28th and three point percentage although that's a surprise to me that 35 percent is only 28th and three point percentage that's not that much below i wouldn't think uh and uh they're right about league average in terms of three point attempt rate but again they had they're playing so many guys at the end of the year who couldn't shoot but they do have some of their volume guys like Vucevic and Gordon you know are, are pretty well below the, the league average but I mean I think if they can get the right guys shooting the three ball that they can be pretty decent there so I don't know I mean, maybe I'm I'm jumping the gun a little bit to say this will be an above average point shooting team I and mean, they have some guys who can shoot it but especially when you look at Isaac he'll probably be below average Bombo will probably be well, shooting he'll be the bellwether there is a lot of guys are getting their the bellwether there is going to be Aaron Gordon you know if Aaron Gordon can be 
a 36, 38% three-point shooter, then the volume, will, they'll probably push them higher up. But we just don't know if that's who he is. Another weakness that I would say on this team that we haven't talked about much is passing. You know, I'm not really sure who is a good passer on this team. Fournier is probably an above average passer for his position. Other than that, and Vucevic is pretty solid. He's turned himself into a pretty solid passing center. But other than that, I don't think there's really anybody who, both in terms of their ability to get penetration and draw the defense and create passing windows, and also just to be able to dime guys up. You know, Augustine has really never particularly been that guy either. So I I think this is probably going to be a a below average passing uh, which is something that we don't look at as much, I think. But what usually when teams are kind of above the sum of their parts, they're good passing teams. When they're below the sum of their parts, like Phoenix, they're bad passing teams. So I think that that's uh, an underrated concern maybe for these guys. When that gets into some of the other problems that they have offensively, why I'm very concerned, because they also don't have a ton of guys that are great at creating separation. They have a few, but they don't have a ton. And they have a lot of capable, dependent talents. And I think this is kind of where Jonathan Isaac, to me, is going to be at least in the near term of like, if he gets an open shot, it'll probably go in a decent portion of time. If you can get him the ball near the rim, then it'll be even better. And hopefully Gordon can be better than that. You know, he he would be a, a nice positive there, just like Fournier is that I think Fournier is better than average at his position. If Gordon can be there, that would be positive too. But I feel like there are a lot of guys that could benefit from being set up. Terrence Ross is probably a good example here. Like Terrence Ross can benefit from being set up. I just don't know how often that's going to happen. So how do you see them as ranking in offense and defense? A year ago, again with perhaps not all that predictive they were 25th on offense and 20th on defense uh finishing up with a negative 5.0 net rating which of those do you see as most likely to improve I think there's more of a chance that the, the the defense does just because their personnel is going more in that direction. I mean, playing Bamba more, playing Isaac. They were 25th on offense, though. They got to be better than that, right? Do they? I mean, though, I mean, presumably. <laughs> that, that was very Feldman. Pre- Feldman presumably there. Fournier, you know, Fournier and Gordon are going to play more and hopefully Terrence Ross plays more as well. But I mean, granted, their point guard situation was a disaster last year and it is still a disaster. But I, I think there will be games when they do well, but I could see the the wheels falling off a little bit. I would I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were a bottom five offense. They could be better than that. But something else to consider is that a lot of the bottom teams over the last year should be better. I mean, like Memphis was below Orlando in offense last year. I'm pretty confident they'll be better this year as long as they can stay slightly healthier. And there were other teams that were down there. I mean, Dallas had a rookie point guard. The Lakers got LeBron. Yeah. Like a lot of those circumstances are are going to get better. And Orlando, even if they get better health they didn't improve as much as a lot of those other teams did. Yeah, well, this will be an interesting proxy. Let's take a look at where they were when Aaron Gordon played last year. So I think they did have a lot of injuries that skewed things pretty poorly. You know, Fournier, I think, would be another reasonable bellwether. With Gordon on the floor, remember their overall net rating was negative 5.0. Not too terrible, negative 1.7. And he played it really about half the season in terms of minutes. And then with Fournier out there, negative 2.9. So again, I, I think that's not too bad and then when you look at some of these net ratings on this team the guys who really killed them you know a lot of those guys are not here anymore right you know alfred payton negative 7.6 you know i think he, he really
really hurt them. Hazonia, negative 7.2. He really hurt them. Uwundu, who played over a thousand minutes, that it would be a complete disaster if he plays over a thousand minutes again. Negative 5.5. Aaron Aflalo was on this team. I was going to say most mates, but no states led the team in net rating with a 0.5 positive net net rating. Uh, yeah, th- these guys actually had like some pretty fluky defensive ratings for some of their big men just because opponents didn't hit any threes. Vucevic, uh, particularly at the start of the year, was like that. He had a really good defensive RPM, but you know, teams were shooting like 28% from three when he was on the floor. And I don't think he was closing out at the three point line and terrorizing guys running him off the line uh, to deserve credit for that. So I do think that getting rid of some of the guys at the bottom of their rotation should be useful. Now, you know, if they get into tank mode again, those guys will come right back in. But I do think as long as they can get some better help, their depth should be better this year. They won't be trotting out these bench units that are just going to get worked, we hope, you know. But I mean, that's the key question. We'll go back to where we were at the start here, which is they really have three guys on on this team, I think, that are going to be a part of, you know, whatever the next successful Magic team is, which, you know, tough to say when that'll be. Uh, we did a Stitcher Premium episode about that of how long it's going to be for teams to make the playoffs i don't think we're particularly positive on the magic because they really just don't have that primary creator star that you need to get into the playoffs on the roster right now and you know vucevic ross those guys could leave you know maybe fournier to stick around long enough but they've got a they've got a lot of other guys that that they need to either get onto this team and then develop the existing talent and then clifford is also in his first year and it seems like weltman and john hammond have a, a relatively blank check as far as trying to develop guys so if i had to pick a direction that they're going to go i think we'll see isaac and bamba probably get a little bit more time than they deserve just solely in terms of how good of players they are and, and that maybe their record could suffer a little bit because of that even though you know, i think both those guys have a lot of potential you were talking before about kind of how this team looked when they were healthier and i pulled a couple of stats on that that i think complement what you were saying oh, yeah. so when dj augustine and, and aaron gordon played together that's about 1700 possessions 107 7 offensive rating and a plus 4.8 net rating and then when augustine fournier and gordon played together Together, 11 111.4 offensive rating plus four net rating so i mean and remember those guys when they were playing were generally you know i mean 40 was a was a starter and gordon was an un- unbridled starter so those guys are primarily playing against starting units they did pretty well i mean you could argue this year that their bench depending on who starts and who sits is going to be worse than it was before the, they're really relying on dj augustin this year which it's astonishing uh, yeah yeah i mean when you're when you're third point guard i mean i have i, I hope that isaiah briscoe does well but he didn't make an impact out of college and was playing in estonia last year so but he's yeah, your he, he's not an nba offensive yeah, player when he's your fallback option and then jerry and grant who has had some moments but you know still isn't all the way there you're going there and that's part of what i've been frustrated with with their with what they did this offseason and kind of going one direction and, and kind of going a little bit the other is that they didn't even really take any interesting flyers like isaiah thomas was one shabazz napier would have been interesting on this team and he got basically yeah, I think they've had enough of him he was already they, they already jumped him to yeah Portland, right but i mean at the same point if if you're considering napier i mean it's possible that he just said i don't want to go back a new regime yeah yeah it's a new regime it, incidentally like steve quiver's old team also would have made sense for shabazz napier there are a series of different different squads to that but it's just there isn't anybody with any real pop to me and th- that's what is what is hard is because you're kind of sitting there going well if they draft a point guard let's say th- this year how wherever they finish if they draft a point guard well that guy's going to take a couple of years and so then you're 
you're really on the young guy track and then yeah. you go in there or maybe you maybe you sign somebody try to try to get the best guy you can in free agency and then that's throwing a lot you know or maybe you do both even and that's throwing a lot at one position and it is their biggest hole but I, I'm very interested in what kind of timeline not only do we think that they should be on but does the front office think they are yeah and the answer to that inevitably I mean the correct answer not uh, to me is you just you got to stay bad until you get the pieces to get good in the long term you know, I think that really the idea of oh we got to show some progress as a 25 win team this year you know that's the, the moral hazard the GM keeping his job all that but you know that path is not you know maybe if you're lucky and you follow that path you end up like Charlotte did and you get 148 win season and then you got to just go right back to rebuilding again after you have a couple of years in the playoffs and I don't think that's really what anyone particularly wants with this team after they've already been mired for so long but I mean you know this is starting they're starting to really plumb the depths here reach these kind of Phoenix these Sacramento level of non-contention and there doesn't appear to be that much of a light at the end of the tunnel so with that in mind that sunny outlook here I think it is prediction time I will let you go first this time how many wins will the Orlando Magic have in 2018-19 there are a lot of competing pressures here and it is worth remembering that unlike last year where you kind of thankfully got me back on their under because of the idea that they had underperformed their win total or sorry that they had overperformed based on close games and all that this year or sorry the year that just completed they played like a 28 win team despite battling all their injuries so I think they'll be a little bit better than that expectation but not a ton especially with the pressure that if it goes south then they'll just you know they'll just play the young guys even more so I'm gonna go with or uh, or they could make one of those trades to 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 take on more bad salary going forward they certainly could I mean I mean that's that's the crazy thing about this team too is it's like they should be worse they've been bad for this whole time they've been bad for this whole time but it's not like they have any assets to show for it right like they haven't been playing they've been like actually trying to compete you know they spent all their money got up well over the cap in the summer of 2016 uh you know and never really have even remotely sniffed the playoffs you know at least a team like phoenix has done they've yo-yoed back and forth certainly in terms of their goals but at least you know they had they traded away goran dragic they had some picks there going forward they had like a a few second rounders that they felt like they could trade so you know it's not like orlando even has like all these extra draft picks going forward either you know because they they've been as bad as a rebuilding team but they haven't actually ever really tried to rebuild and taken on that mindset and when i said they should be worse what i meant by that was that they could lean into this a little bit more and move guys like vooch and terrence ross and so one way to do that is to take on worse players with expiring money that's actually the way if they do that that i think they will actually go but then the other tact would be take on some 2019-20 salary because they have some flexibility for that year but not a ton and then at that point you you if you take that on then you could start to really play and play in some assets because teams are looking to to get into that and maybe they use that space to do the same thing but in the summer of 2019 but i i don't know i i feel like they should be talking with that because not only can they offer cap relief for a subsequent season but they can offer players that could actually help and so it's frustrating to me that if you're going the young guy route that they didn't do it all the way and then if you're going the other route then i mean i guess they could have i guess they could have done a little bit more when now somebody like isaiah would have helped with that so i think they'll they'll kind of realize where they are a little bit too late maybe you know like in january or something like that so that's why i said 30 wins i think that's kind of about in line they could certainly be better than that and you'll hear that in my best case scenario but that i think is the most likely so what again is is your official prediction best uh, most likely 30 okay yeah that's right about where i am for the record by the way a season ago they had the point differential of a 24 win team last year so they actually did get four wins better amazingly a year ago i 
predicted 31 wins and you predicted 29 so we were both too high they're both down closer to our uh, worst case scenario which again you know we're not basing that on like close game luck just kind of more what their point differential would be so uh you know i mean i guess they were actually pretty close they were 28 win point differential and they had 29 wins so you were only really one off i think in terms of the fundamentals this is a team that is right in that band that the new lottery rules are supposed to kind of help okay you're at least trying you're gonna be you're gonna try to be decent you have some veterans and i think it's worth going over what the that odd structure is now for the new lottery so the one through three spots in the lottery there is no advantage to being any higher than three you have a 52 percent chance of getting into the top four if you're one through three and a 14 percent chance of getting the number one overall pick so being the worst team you've gone from 25 percent chance of number one overall and a guarantee of being in the top four to only 14 percent overall and 52 percent of being in the top four so especially way down at the bottom there isn't that much appeal and then once you get to four now and remember the top four are now drawn for instead of the top three so you can jump up into the top four that wasn't possible to jump up to number four before so it basically goes down just as a shorthand about five percent per team it gets a little bit more severe as you go down there but even as as low as the number 10 pick you now have a 14 percent chance of popping up into the top four and a three percent chance of getting the number one pick so i i think the hope is probably more that in that bottom five that there won't be as much jockeying for position once you're kind of assured of being in the bottom five then the more jockeying is going to happen kind of in the five through eight range uh where if you're five you have a 42 percent chance of being in the top four if you're eight you have a 26 percent chance so that's probably one of the bigger drops there and i would expect them to be kind of right in that five to eight range again here so i i do think they will have some tanking incentive but more so just to see what they can get for vooch and ross who i think can help playoff teams a little bit and to maybe take on that bad money so i think just because the rest of the east is not going to be that good i mean that only being in the bad conference that only adds a, a win or two at the maximum conference disparity is maybe three and, and i do expect there to be a pretty big disparity this year and i think at least through most of the year they'll be able to delude themselves into be, thinking that they're close enough with detroit and charlotte and maybe cleveland uh, to chase after it so i'm going to go with 31 here just the same as i had last year a three win improvement but certainly i think you know, it's really hard for me to see them beating like maybe you know in a best case scenario i mean i guess do you think they could get to 37 like what do you think is the highest they could rank in offense and defense now that i've drawn it on for a while well so 25th in offense last year 20th in defense i was thinking they could get you know an offense they could maybe be some somewhere like 18 to 21 something maybe in that range yeah i don't see how they get into the top half of the league yeah in offense. That, that would be impossible i mean considering their personnel is just dramatic i mean i mean i guess it would be if they hit a bunch of shots like if they if they basically that first month of the year was their whole year but you wouldn't expect that with with their personnel <laughs> no and then defensively eh, i mean i could see maybe i wouldn't expect them to be somewhere like 12 but you know maybe i mean I, i'm thinking more of that around league average like something there but depending on who yeah they play. i mean i mean they're really i think they would just have to i mean even if they do move on from Fuchsvich, like rookie big man is bomba and then you know they're gonna bring in kem birch or moz well, yeah, their best defensive players other than john simmons are all young which is never a good yeah. sign for actually having a good defense yeah i, I expect them to be more i think isaac 20. actually i think isaac actually could be an effective defender this year 
I am more skeptical about Bamba, especially as a rookie. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I yeah, I guess like twelve, but it, I mean, it seems like if Vucevic is going to be here and he's going to play half the game for even half the season, like I don't know how you get much. But I mean, Augustine is pretty rough. Fournier, you know, it would really and Gordon is always punched well below his late weight as a defender. So yeah, I mean, maybe you know, I see it as more like fifteenth as their upside. And so I mean, if that's eighteenth and fifteenth, you know, is that thirty six, thirty seven wins? I guess so. You know, that's uh, that could that could be right around there. Yeah, so I put it. I, I put it at thirty eight. I thought of them as like maybe they could yeah. be a negative one net rating team, and that's about a thirty eight. That's exactly team. what we had last year, by the way. You had thirty eight, and I had thirty seven. That's the best <laughs> case scenario. And and then on the worst case side, I don't see them, especially with the choices they made this offseason. I don't see them getting to be the absolute bottom of the barrel. But you know, I could see them being a twenty five win team. Sure, you know that that's absolutely a possibility. Yeah, and beyond that you know it would to me it would be more of a concerted effort like then we're talking about the the universe of outcomes that we don't really consider like our worst case is not the zeroth it's more like the 10th percentile opportunity but right and right. so i would say that for me i put their worst case at 25 yeah i would go as low as 23 just because i think they could just if there's a fire sale you know that that, that could be really damaging to, oh I, uh, I can't believe i i forgot yeah. to put in the snide comment about orlando benefiting from lottery odds because if for those who remember the reason lottery odds got changed so dramatically to help the worst teams was because of Orlando jumping up to get the pick that could have become Chris Webber, but they ended up trading that to the Golden State Warriors. They got Penny Hardaway instead, which worked out pretty well until he got hurt. Yeah, you could still say it worked out pretty well, even though he did. Oh yeah, I mean, hurt. Penny was amazing. Um, all right, I think that's all I got uh, on these guys. So uh, we can wrap it up, and uh, we'll be back at some point, whether later in the week or uh, in just a few seconds here, depending on, on exactly how we run it. This will probably I'll probably actually run Orlando at the end of the episode. There's not quite as much interest in them, so usually. I would probably run that team second. So uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back in uh, later in the week. Talk to y'all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.